It's February 2nd, Groundhog Day. Listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy episode 555. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. With your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG headquarters in Roswell, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 2nd of February, 2023. In today's episode, a Piper seven-seater crashes in Oklahoma following maintenance, killing two people. Federal charges against an Alaska woman for circling a float plane in a boat. More news, your feedback, and today's plane tale. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger. Flight 555 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger. He's an award-winning TV and radio reporter, currently at the number one all-news station in the nation, 1010 Winds on 92.3 FM in New York City. Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and answering your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, a pilot at a major legacy airline based in Atlanta, Georgia. And joining me from his studio... Hampshire. Professional photographer, former RAFRAAF fighter pilot, retired Airbus A330, A340 captain for Virgin Atlantic Airways. It's Captain Nick. Uh, hi there, Jeff. Lovely to be back on the show. I'm getting strange feelings of deja vu again. Are you? Hmm. I wonder why that might be. Yeah, interesting. All right. And uh, also joining us from his home studio in the air capital, low and slow pilot, old airplane enthusiast and engineer in the aerospace and defense industry. It's Ned Ryerson. Nick Ryerson. (laughs) (laughs) Glad to be back with everyone. Glad to finally be getting rid of some of the miserably cold weather that we're sending up to Liz. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> and she loves it. I'm she thanks you. you. In fact, here she is to thank you personally. A place to grow and a place to stand in Ontario, Canada. <laughs> Retired financier and aviation enthusiast, spreadsheet master, and our producer, it's Liz Piper. Hello, everyone. Hello, Liz. Hi, Liz. Hi, Nick. Hi, Nick. Hey. Okay. Case the ground home. <laughs> Oh, boy. Have a good That's show. Be, off to a good start. It's going to be an interesting show. All right. Let's do some news. Stand by for news. All right, let's start off with our favorite airplane. It's an Air Canada Rouge Airbus A321. 
near Tampa, Florida on the 23rd of January, 2023. Not too long ago, actually. About a week ago or so. Multiple failures cause the FBW, the five-by-wire system, I guess, change to direct or direct law, your choice. Uh, The A321-200 registration, Charlie Golf Hotel, Quebec, India, performing flight 1997 from Cozumel, Mexico to Toronto, or Toronto, Ontario, Canada, with 123 people on board, was en route at flight level 370, about 250 nautical miles north of Cozumel, when the flight crew received multiple successive fault messages on ECAM concerning the ELAC, ELAC, elevator and aileron computer, stabilizer, autopilot, and yellow hydraulic system. And as a result, the fly-by-wire computers reported reverted to uh am i saying that right nick is that fly by wire is that what fbw stands for yes i'm pretty certain okay do they call it the fbw no or just uh simon refers to it as that i guess yeah i Uh, think so okay reverted to alternate law uh the flight crew declared mayday and decided to divert to tampa florida during the approach the uh, flight computers further downgraded to direct law the aircraft landed safely on Tampa's runway one left about 50 minutes after the onset of trouble. The Canadian DSB reported the aircraft was towed to the apron due to the loss of nose wheel steering and maintenance is investigating. The aircraft still on the ground in Tampa three days later. Of course, that's when I when we downloaded this to our news notebook. So maybe it's still there. I don't know. Um, so, Nick. Captain Nick, you're our uh, Airbus, or the only one here that has direct experience with I used Airbus. to be, perhaps, once, a while ago. I, I knew you were going to say that, so I thought, well, I'm not going <laughs> to you know, say that, because I know you're going to say something in defense of the fact that you haven't fl- flown it in a while. But Yeah, and of course, the, the I didn't fly the 320 that's series. That's flew the, the wide-body version, not the, not the yeah. narrow-body. But, I mean, but they're, there's a lot they're of, basically a lot similar. Familiar. I can speak in broad terms. Yeah. Okay, so um, so I, I am based on the comments that I read on this uh, article from the Aviation Herald. Uh, it seems that uh, several things may actually kick the uh, computer, the fly-by-wire system, into the you know normal law. It goes can revert to alternate law, and then it can be further degraded yeah. to direct law. And, there are and, two versions yeah. of alternate law as well, alternate one, oh. alternate two. Oh, and depending know. on the severity of the issues, you will lose um, a few of your uh, protections or a few more of your protections, depending on which alternate mode you go into. Uh, okay. And once you've gone to direct law, you've lost more or less all the automated um, uh, protection systems that are there. And it has turned into a, a Boeing, basically. <laughs> okay. It's <laughs> just very, very simple and basic at that point, I guess, what you're saying. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, uh, it's up, down, left, right. Uh, you know, the stick works like uh, the stick in any conventional airplane. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. all that direct law means. It means you're directly in touch through the stick uh, to the flight controls instead of having uh, your demands being uh, interpreted by the flight computers. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
So uh, I thought it was interesting, again, based on the commentary on the uh, on this article, the website, uh, that uh, it, it's a quite normal thing. Well, I, I guess not normal as in normal law, but it's not uncommon or it's actually expected to switch from alternate to um, direct law when you're in the situation when you put the gear down. So that's why they said on final it further uh, downgraded to direct law, but the, in, uh, apparently on the uh, the three series uh, that when you go to landing gear down or you extend the gear, the um, then it goes to direct law because there is no flare um, action in the system when you're in alternate law. So that part of the yeah, equation the, is gone. The explanation to pilots on what happens during the flare, even in normal law, is not <laughs> clear. <laughs> they okay. don't give us a lot of information to exactly what's happening because hmm. there are elements uh, fed in to try and um, make the flare natural and um, work well, uh, hmm. even though as you transition uh, on into the flare mode, by the time you are physically flaring the airplane, you're actually in direct law anyway. You're, you're directly in control of the flight control. There's no, very little massaging. There's very few extra inputs put in. Um, so uh, the, the flare is more or less you on the stick. It's, you know, there's nothing mm-hmm. in between. Um, there are in, in degraded modes, uh, sometimes uh, you can end up in a direct law when you have put the gear down. That's a trigger uh, that the aircraft goes, right, okay, We, you need to do a bit more pilot stuff now, so we're going to make you do it from that point onwards. Um, in some failures, uh, you might have to manually trim the airplane from that point onwards. Uh, and um, But... You know, there it's it's still a very simple and easy airplane to fly, uh, even in direct law. No one should get uh, really concerned about that because uh, you know the airplane is naturally stable just by its aerodynamics, and it's not a hard airplane to fly. It's a, it's an airliner for heaven's sake. It's not designed mm. to be difficult. Um, having said that, I know just chatting to Captain now that the three twenty one. Um, is a little bit prone to difficult areas in pitch during the flare. You know, it's it's a bit prone to tail strikes and whatever. But, you know, with experience, of course, and learning about the airplane, you get to do that. Um, I, I can't speak for the failures because she hasn't actually said exactly what they were. Um, there are more than one uh, ELAC. Uh, for example, there's several autopilots. Uh, haven't said what the problem with the stabilizer was. Uh, there are three hydraulic systems, so just losing the yellow, uh, is, which is not the primary hydraulic system, uh, just one of the uh, extra ones, uh, is not necessarily a major problem. Um, so that little list of, of issues... I would need to know more about it. If the stabilizer was jammed in an awkward position, that might make life a bit difficult. I, what I'm alluding to now is I'm a little bit uh, in the dark as to why the crew declared a mayday. Um, I can understand why they would divert. Uh, for a start, your hand, if without an autopilot, you're hand-flying the aircraft. 
and you can't fly an RVS M airspace. So there, there may have been a problem with them getting to their destination because they would have to descend into non-RVS M airspace. Um, uh, reduced vertical separation minima, that higher airspace where you squeeze airplanes together to a thousand feet and one of the requirements is that you always use the autopilot when you're up in that rvsm airspace uh, and i don't know if that was the area uh, an rvsm area they were in but they're pretty big now most of the world is uh, mm. rvsm airspace uh, so i'm not uh, i'm what i'm trying to get at is these this list of faults they had one of them might have been quite serious uh, which is why they declared a mayday. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm not, but I'm not exactly certain which one it would have been. Well, according to Angel of Attack on uh, the um, uh, <laughs> Aviation Herald, I think the person probably means Angle of Attack, but uh, mm -hmm. he spelled it Angel of Attack. Uh, he said, if you get a problem on stabilizer and lose a hydraulic system, it's better just call Mayday to be safe, but it's also it also depends on company policy. Yeah, uh, well, the so. stabilizer is driven by more than one hydraulic system. Uh, everything mm -hmm. is – all the flight controls are driven by multiple hydraulic systems. So losing one hydraulic system uh, is not yeah. – uh, when you – if you lost all power to the stabilizer, that's the time, in my mind, you yeah. put out a Mayday because now your life is threatened. Yeah, and you need to start praying too. Uh, exactly. Um, if you were uh, just lost, you know, one of your hydraulic systems, it's a pan pan call, uh, or you might, in Americanisms, uh, declare an emergency. Uh, mm -hmm. But you wouldn't, in my mind, you wouldn't necessarily declare a mayday, which means your life is in imminent da imminent danger. Okay. There was also some discussion in the in the comments regarding. Uh, the nose wheel steering and yellow and green hydraulic systems. And apparently those who had not flown the A321 uh, didn't realize that I guess the um, the difference between the 320, 319 and the 321 is that the 321 nose wheel steering system is on yellow hydraulic, whereas on the other two, um, you know, the smaller versions, it's on the green or something like that. I don't know. That anyway. explains my confusion too, because mm -hmm. uh, on the 340 and the 330s I flew, uh, the nose string was uh, related to the green hydraulic system, which is the primary and controls most of the major hydraulics. Um, so I went, oh, I wonder why that nose string went down. And that, right. that explains it that to me. Thanks. Well, I'm glad I could help you with Airbus uh, knowledge, Captain. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Very kind of you. Based entirely, of course, on reading other people's comments. <laughs> yeah, that's, well, know, that's sometimes they have, they have great insights. Yes. Correcting via internet comments. That's a exactly. dangerous yeah. game to play. <laughs> exactly. And the uh, nice thing is that they got the airplane down safely. Uh, that's great. And um, the fact that it's still on the ground having the problem sorted makes me think uh, that there might be more to this than meets the eye initially. But if I was in the simulator and uh, I got this list of problems and the guy said, you're in direct, Lord, now go ahead and land it. I wouldn't be breaking into a sweat. All right. Well, very good. Let's continue on with the next item. We have an update on uh, the nice little peaceful <laughs> yeah. uh, dynamics of uh, Halibut Cove in uh, Alaska. These are those cowboys in Canada, or cowgirls yeah. in this case. 
Well, the uh, if you'll put the uh, young lady's uh, picture up there, uh, Liz, uh, this lady here, uh, a Halibut Cove restaurant owner, uh, Marion Beck, uh, has been indicted on federal charges after a video went viral on social media showing the restaurant owner circling a float plane in a boat at dangerously close proximity. Well, if you recall, we'll go ahead and play this for you. This is uh, some of the neighbors, I think. Uh, She's lost it. Somebody's got to fucking do something. (laughs) (laughs) This is the unedited version. This is her neighbor, I think. Uh, so it's uh, showing some video of a, of a boat out there in the cove, and there's a, uh, a beaver on floats trying to make its way out of the uh, cove so that they can take off. I believe he had uh, seven passengers on board. So this guy's moving over so we can get a better view. Cute little dog in the foreground. Okay, so she's circling the, uh, the beaver. They're yep. a little amazed at what she's doing. But that, you know, it is a nice beaver, if you ask me. <laughs> it is very nice. Yeah. And I wonder if it's been stuffed recently. Uh, it, 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 I think it was just stuffed. I think I've seen a still of this pass, and that was very, very close. close. Yes. Yeah. That, In fact, you can hear the propeller, I think, hitting, hitting the wave. Uh, so anyway. We can uh, go ahead and stop that. And uh, uh, let's see. Court documents show that Marion Beck, the owner of the Saltry restaurant. Wow. Oh, I forgot to do my little play on words. Talking about a Saltry beach. These beaches in uh, Halibut uh, Cove are quite uh, spectacular. Um, Oh, did you think I said something else? No. I said beach. Uh, So uh, Marion Beck, owner of the Saltry restaurant. Uh, was indicted by a federal grand jury on charges of attempted destruction of aircraft and gross negligent operation of a vessel. Uh, she was indicted on January 19th for the incident that occurred August 23rd of 2022. Uh, both Alaska state troopers and the U.S. Coast Guard said they were investigating the incident that frightened float plane pilot and Alaska Ultimate Safaris owner Eric Lee. He said he was attempting to taxi out of the cove and take the seven <coughs> passengers who were staying at the Still Point Lodge near the Saltry restaurant on a flight-seeing trip. Anyway, the uh, U.S. Assistant uh, Attorney Jack Schmidt said that Beck's arraignment is scheduled for February 3rd, which is tomorrow. Oh, yes. I hope she's got a good lawyer. She'll need one. Uh, And the other thing is that I don't really understand why you would want to deter your customers, uh, i.e. people staying in the bay and the cove from, uh, you know, being there because, you know, you're, you're going to benefit from what they're spending. If they come to your restaurant. Uh, really don't I'm, understand the logic of this. Bay. I'm thinking there, prob- there might be some kind of a personal feud Vendetta? or something going on here. Yeah, yeah. it might be. I'm yeah. thinking. Who knows? Know. You know how neighbors can get sometimes. <laughs> All right. Um, I just think it's, uh, you know, we look back at some of the situations we've had, like the baggage handler and, uh, just incidents that, uh, reinforce how dangerous, dangerous it is to be around airplanes. 
And if you were to say, oh, someone went out there and was like recklessly driving their car in front of an airplane on a ramp or an apron, um, that would be crazy to think about. And here we are with basically the same situation, only even less control than an airplane in a car on a ramp with these two vessels floating in the water. So it's just, uh, yeah. So come on, like how that guy in the beaver on the floats, uh, how do you, how do you put your brakes on? You, you don't, I, I mean, there are, there are some seaplane propellers that have reverse like beta and a turboprop, but they're but pretty rare. Yeah. I doubt this airplane has it. And so it's mm-hmm. all energy management, right? It, it would be just like, uh, it'd be very similar to like trying to dock a sailboat without, mm-hmm. without a motor. So yeah. Crazy situation. Yeah. We'll see where this goes. We'll keep our eyes and ears open. And uh, our, yeah, our Alaska correspondent will get back with us on the, uh, on the updates. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I'm sure oh, we have boy. an Alaska correspondent up there somewhere. Come on. Um, item C News. Uh, oh, can you hear that? Report. Yeah. What's that? That's a Chinook going over my house. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Those damn Chinook pilots. Yeah, they must have been pretty low. Uh, yeah, we're right on the edge of the Army training ground, oh. which the Chinooks use for ultra-low-level flying oh, practice. It's not very big, so we don't see them very often. But uh, uh-huh. they go in there and play with the soldiers. Cool. All right. Uh, next item is an NTSB report uh, regarding a Piper PA-32 crash in Kingfisher, Oklahoma. On the 16th of January of this year, about 12.42 Central Standard Time, a Piper PA-32-301 Tango, uh, November 8266 Delta, was destroyed when it was involved in an accident near Kingfisher. The pilot and certified certificated flight instructor were fatally injured. The airplane was operated as a Title 14 Code of Federal Regulations Part 91 instructional flight. According to witnesses, the, airpl- uh, the airplane was seen trailing black smoke before it rolled over and dove into the ground. A witness provided cell phone video confirming the presence of the black smoke and an explosion after impact. And there's a still, I don't know if you're showing that or not. Uh, let us, okay. Yeah, that first one there of the, uh, the black smoke trailing. Um, and... The accident flight was the first flight after the airplane had undergone maintenance, including the installation of a new autopilot system and an annual inspection. Uh, the mechanic, uh, Nick Camacho, uh, just threw his hands up and said, hey, I'm, <laughs> I'm new. I'm still trying to get the hang of this. No, I'm, I'm yeah. sorry. Well, he just I, got the license, you know. <laughs> shouldn't make light of that. Uh, Nick had nothing to do with it, uh, just to be uh, you know, on the record. Anyway, the flying club that owned the airplane with one of the club instructors to become acquainted with the operation of the new autopilot system. The accident flight was such a flight. The airplane impacted a firm level field with little vegetation. The initial impact location was a crater that contained the airplane's propeller. The rotation axis of the propeller was near vertical, indicating that the airplane impacted the ground in a near vertical attitude. All components of the airplane were in the immediate vicinity of the uh, accident site. Main portion of the fuselage wings tail surfaces came to rest about 100 feet north of the initial impact point. The wings were damaged from impact but continuous from tip to tip except for the center star, star section which was melted and consumed by fire. 
The ailerons and flaps remained attached to the wing. The wing leading edge was crushed aft, and all four fuel tanks were ruptured. The fuel of the fuselage forward of the tail surfaces was almost completely consumed by fire. The aft fuselage from the leading edge of the vertical stab and aft was intact with the tail surfaces still attached. Um, anyway, they checked for continuity of all the control surfaces to the cockpit all uh, with all brakes in the control system consistent with the impact and not something else. And so that's your uh, preliminary report. And I'm wondering, uh, Nick, um, any any ideas what may have happened here? Is it just coincidental that the new autopilot system had been installed? Or I guess it could have been just about anything, right, that could, could have caught in fire. Yeah. Yeah, and I think the other important point, the autopilot system and the annual inspection, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's uh, annual inspections are um, minimally invasive usually, but uh, there are, you know, when there are things wrong, there are uh, moderate risk actions that might come out of an annual inspection. You may have to replace a cylinder, replace a couple of cylinders, replace fuel system components that are, um, that if they're not done right, they would cause an issue kind of earlier on. Right. I, um, I can't imagine just the fact that there's smoke in the air. Um, I have a hard time understanding what would cause a fire from the autopilot. Um, but if there was something that uh, was done or was in- inspected or replaced uh, with regard to the annual inspection, uh, I could see that causing an issue that might create a fire. There's always the chance, you know, with a autopilot with servos, electric motors and stuff like that, you can, you can have issues that um, might result in a, high heat situation, but mm-hmm. all of the modern autopilot systems and everything have so many, um, protections and, and feedbacks that avoid that. I can't imagine that being the case. Um, you know, I do think it's important to note that, um, they mentioned that this flight was a kind of instructional flight in the first flight out of maintenance and, um, I don't know if that's, I don't know if those are two like very competent pilots that could be a non-factor, you know, but it just from a mindset standpoint, I think anytime you're coming out of a fairly significant, um, maintenance action, and I would consider both the completion of an annual, uh, in that category and, uh, definitely the installation of a new autopilot system as, um, you know, first flights that you approach with, a a uh, test flight mentality and, you know, your main focus being on uh, flying the airplane and verifying all the systems that were touched during the maintenance actions and, and that sort of thing. And so it's probably unlikely that uh, the instruction aspect of this flight had anything to do with it, but, you know, I think it's always good to just reiterate that uh, anytime you touch an airplane, with uh, regard to maintenance, you need to kind of be a little more on your game because the likelihood is a little higher of having issues. Nick, uh, that looks a pretty uh, distinctively colored smoke. It's quite black, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Uh, Any thoughts as to what caused that? No. Um, Okay. You know, usually you'll get darker smoke from 
fuel. Fuel will give you like a blue black smoke. Oil burning oil will give you more of a white smoke. Um, a pure black smoke. I don't know if that would be, you know, components of the airplane. If like insulation or something caught on fire, or if that's a, I'm just not sure. I, you know, I do know that okay. commonly though, when you have a, when you see an airplane with a oil issue, whether you've got a oil leak that's dripping on an exhaust or whether you have a, a failure that causes a significant oil temperature, uh, you'll see white smoke. So I would guess that it would not be a oil oil, which would kind of point to a catastrophic engine failure. Um, but it could still be engine related. Yeah. That, uh, okay. Well, I'm hoping that we'll learn something from the continuing investigation on this. Again, that was just the preliminary report. And, uh, yeah, that is going to be a, a tough, uh, investigation. I mean, the amount of damage done to the airframe, there's not an awful lot of it left. No, I guess the fire must've been quite intense. So, you know, hats off if they do come up with a definite cause. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's continue on uh, again from the Aviation Herald. By the way, the last one was from the NTSB.gov, but we're going to continue on with uh, this. They coming to take you away. Yeah, I was wondering if you could hear that, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) it looks like uh, I dodged. I dodged them again because they just. Yeah, well done. I I hid myself well here (laughs) in my in my hideout. Uh, this is involving an Air New Zealand Air, uh, ANZ Air New Zealand. Okay. An Air New Zealand Boeing 777-300 registration Zulu Kilo Oscar Kilo November performing flight 124 from Melbourne, uh, Australia to Auckland, New Zealand landed on Auckland's runway five right at 1740 local time but veered right and left on the runway before vacating the runway at taxi speed via a high-speed turnoff. The airplane, the air, not the airplane, the airline reported that the aircraft contacted a number of runway edge lights and damaged them, according to the NOTAMs, indicating the edge lights between taxiways A8 and A9 were damaged and the ADSB data transmitted by the aircraft, the aircraft contacted the right-hand edge lights. The airport reported the runway lights were in, uh, repaired by about 21.30 local time, but shortly afterwards, the airport became flooded due to torrential rains and needed to be evacuated. On the 29th of January, uh, New Zealand's uh, Transport Accident Investigation Commission reported they are investigating the loss of control on the ground, stating that the aircraft landed at about 6.50 p.m. at Auckland International Airport during wind gusts and very heavy rain. Shortly after touchdown, the aircraft briefly lost directional control, veered away from the runway centerline, regained control, and then completed the landing and taxied the aircraft to the airport terminal. There was damage reported to six runway edge lights and the aircraft's undercarriage assembly, including deflation of one tire. No injuries or uh, two passengers or crew were reported. And then, uh, Liz, if you'll put up the METAR... For the accident time frame there. And it looks like anywhere from winds straight down the runway at 16 knots uh, with uh, rain uh, and mist to um, heavy rain 
and 100 uh, degrees at five knots, so not much of a crosswind, although the wind was varying around from 050 to 140 degrees. And, uh, you know, the visibility was infected by that heavy, was affected, not infected, uh, by that heavy rain. And, uh, but, you know, the only thing unusual about the weather in my mind was not really the winds, but the the heavy rain, which can definitely impair your vision. And it can also affect your braking coefficient because the runway there, five right, uh, two, three left, is not grooved. And it's it's a concrete runway, nice and long, but um, no no grooving or, as far as I know, porous friction overlay or any kind of aid to uh, to aid in uh, friction to keep you going straight down that runway. So I don't know. Uh, I would say that might have something to do with the fact it may have been aquaplaning, or we say here in the U.S. hydroplaning. Um, aqua uh, aqua. Auckland painting, planing. Wow, that's a good one, Liz. I like that. <laughs> Which is oh, only plane uh, Auckland, yes. <laughs> the only, it's only something you have to worry about when you fly into Auckland International Airport. Yeah, I, no, I have to agree, Jeff. Uh, I I was looking at the conditions, thinking, you know, got squally uh, conditions, heavy rain showers coming through. Um, the wind might have only indicated five knots in the in the uh, in the actual, but um, uh, I've no doubt that, uh, you know, you can get quite bad gusts when there's a lot of uh, torrential rain coming down. Um, they might be short-lived. They might not be reflected in that um, forecast. Uh, and it's mm. they landed on five right, so that's the, they're still going at a moderate speed when they get to Alpha 9 now for 8 because it's not that far down the runway. But it's that awkward time, I would suspect, where you're changing over between um, rudder uh, for directional control and noseful steering as your speed reduces. Uh, and um, if the tires aren't giving you a lot of friction to help uh, guide the aircraft, it, it's quite easy to, you know, Put inputs in, nothing happens. Put more inputs in, it might over-control a little bit. It, it's difficult because the aircraft is not responding well in those, would not be responding well in those conditions. So, yeah. Uh, the, I, uh, the way you, it, it is written, you think they actually left the runway, but I love this. They, they left the runway, uh, veered left and right on the runway for vacating the runway. And you think, oh, he's gone off the runway. But no, he hasn't. He's gone off on the, the taxiway. <laughs> so mm -hmm. that He was under control when he actually left the runway. All he did was get right to the edge and whack a few runway lights. So it's mm -hmm. not really as serious as it might have been. Right. I agree. So then why are we making such a big deal of this? I, don't know. <laughs> I just think it's prob was probably a really nasty night, and uh, yeah. they struggled a little bit uh, keeping the airplane on the runway. So uh, I think it's worth mentioning. But, yeah, these things happen. I mentioned it before, and one of the most intense, or a couple of the most intense moments flying an airplane trying in, during the landing phase has been with heavy rain. Uh, it's just, it's tough. And I've finally in my old age have decided that if I have the option of uh, doing an auto land, as long as the winds are within the limits of the uh, auto flight system for uh, auto land, 
um, I'm, I'm going with that because it's really tough to see sometimes when you, even with the wipers and, and that's another factor when the, I don't know what, how loud the windshield wiper system was on that Airbus 330-340, but on the airplanes that I've been flying the last 20 something years, they make a racket when they're going at full speed. And sometimes it's as if there's nothing, they're not doing anything. It, the, oh, the yes. I mean, down so hard. I think that's a, uh, it's a perennial problem for airliners. Uh, the wipers don't get used a lot. The blades always get hard and brittle because they're sitting in the sun and being, the temperatures are being bought from minus 70 to plus 30, you know, and uh, the rubber really does suffer. So when you turn them on and when you need them, they're, they're probably pretty damn useless. <laughs> and they yeah. do, they whack up and down like nobody's business, making Make a, racket. a dreadful <laughs> racket. So, what did you say? Yeah, lots of noise, not <laughs> a lot of vision. Around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, and so you end up looking through something like a letterbox if you're lucky. Uh, and then with the, the rain reducing your visibility, it, it, it really would be hard to detect the the drift off the uh in the center line and mm-hmm. you know it's that you're really good point you're really it's a tough environment to to uh work i must admit yeah especially when you don't you know you have a non a, a non-groove runway and uh and mm. with a heavy rain you know you have that that run that water pooling up and uh yeah. and then you have all that the the wipers going and it's noisy and it just it's just horrible yeah Oh, well, that's right. Good point. Uh, uh, We're landing in New Zealand and you're upside down. That even makes it harder. (laughs) So, Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, I've I've flew lots in Australia and New Zealand, and I must admit, it takes some getting used to. Uh, You know, the straps really do chafe your shoulders while that hanging upside down. I hope that you're you're going to mention that in the uh, upcoming plane tale um, on today's episode. Yeah, oh, sure. I'll put <laughs> okay. it in the next one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see. I got this. And now Vernon, um, Vernon Tryon in um, uh, Colorado, Fort Collins, Colorado. Um, he sent in the feedback uh, not too long ago about his experience with the disruptions to air travel over the uh, the Christmas holiday uh, period uh, with Southwest Airlines. And uh, thank you for that, Vernon. And then he sent this to me, and at first, uh, and I sent him a uh, a feedback or a, a response to his email saying, "Ah, oh, we'd already covered this." But what I didn't realize, and Liz pointed this out to me, is that this is the actual um, safety board, uh, transportation safety board report on the incident. So let's read on, should we, or shall we? Um, I don't know. Should we? <laughs> Uh, this is from avweb.com. Yeah, don't, yeah. don't drone on. <laughs> ah, ah. Very good. Yeah, I should probably. Let's see what ha- happens if I hit D. Yes. Woohoo! Ah, there we go. Yes. Thanks for reminding me. All right. Sorry. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, I thought I turned it off, but apparently not. Uh, in the heat of the chase for an armed suspect, the operator of a Canadian police surveillance drone, uh, didn't tell air traffic control as required that they were operating near a busy airport in Toronto. The drone collided with a Cessna 172 in August of 2021. So it's been a few years. What's taking them so long, Liz? Come on. That was a long time ago. 
Canadian Nothing moves time. Okay. In Canada. <laughs> Apparently, just like Jamaica. Um, the according to a, that's true. Things slow down when it gets cold. Uh, according to a Transportation Safety Board report, the the York Regional Police uh, pilot told investigators he thought that the area about 1.2 nautical miles roughly off the end of Buttonville Airport's runway 15 was free of traffic, and he put the 13.5 pound DJI Matrix M210 drone into a hover at 400 feet above ground. The instructor and student and the 172 were on final when they heard and felt a significant impact and assumed they'd hit a bird. Now we're looking at the the, the photo of the uh, front underside of the, yeah, the significant impact. And let me tell you, it is a significant impact. Quite a big dent in the uh, cowling of the, uh, of the airplane. Um, they continued the approach, landed normally, and discovered the extensive damage to the cowl on the ramp. The report says that the pilots didn't see the drone, and the drone pilot may have been task-saturated. It also said that the spotter pilot, who had asked who um, had asked to monitor the drone visually, wasn't trained, and didn't know he was supposed to be able to see the aircraft at all times. Hmm. I guess a misunderstanding of what well, Yeah, I was going to say, what part of spotter <laughs> did he not understand? Spotter and visual. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> yeah. confusing. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, since the mishap, the police force has rewritten its drone procedures to ensure all the rules are followed and that all personnel involved in drone operations are properly trained. Yeah. I, I tell you what, uh, if that thing is smacked into the windshield, this would have probably been a very different story. And the diff- difference in altitude between hitting that cowling just under the engine and smacking in the windshield was about three and a half feet. So I think the, uh, the the pilots in the Cessna uh, got away with it very lightly. Mm-hmm. Not not a small piece of kit, uh, whacking into something uh, weighing uh, what was it, thirteen yeah, and they, a half pounds? Yeah, that's and the Cessna would have been doing about one hundred and forty, hundred and thirty knots. Mm-hmm. I mean, where are you land at? No, perhaps ninety knots. I don't know. Yeah, Nick, help me out here. Uh, that airplane is probably landing at uh, 60, 55 or 60 knots. Okay. All In right. the pattern, well, probably 75 feet. knots. Yeah, 75 uh, yeah. or 80 knots. Okay. So, and by the way, uh, I don't know what um, Buttonville Airport's surroundings look like, but when you're talking about a like sub-20-pound drone, you're coming in for an approach. So, you know you're coming down and everything's going to be below you. Everything that you're going to run into is going to be below you. It's going to be next to impossible to pick that thing up because there's going to be so much uh, clutter in terms of different colors and things of all the buildings and trees and cars on the ground. Barely a chance. You're going to be able to pick up a little. drone. I I agree. It's just going to merge with the, um, what do do they call that sort of uh, normal lighting in that um, area? I don't know. Uh, there's a term for it, but carry on. Cultural lighting, something like that. Yeah. Cult- well, I guess they can't hear lighting. you, Liz. That's weird. Uh, so we're going to bring just, you in. So, you know, 
uh, Buttonville is right in the middle of a lot of houses and offices and stuff. The city's grown out around it. So actually it's going to close because it was out in the fields and now it's out in the houses. So it's, yeah. Yeah. So there's like what, a the airfield zero zero one. Yeah. <laughs> what do they do that for? <laughs> yeah, like as we see so many times, uh, the the at first the air the airport's out in the middle of nowhere, right? And then people decide, well, this is a nice place to live out here. Not yeah, and what's more, it's nice and cheap because it's around an airport. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or they don't have any idea that it's around an airport until uh, you know. After yeah. they purchased, and then they go, "What's all that racket?" Well, yeah. that's the. Uh, it's actually got a major highway running right along the perimeter of the airport too. Oh yeah, uh, I remember we yeah. we we covered an accident uh, a couple of years back, Liz, uh, yeah. regarding yeah. crashing, and then onto the yeah. That, that big and it's and it's freeway. under the approach to Pearson, so it's quite a interesting. Mm. Thank you, Liz. Okay, um, so. Let's move on to Long Beach, California. Uh, This is from abc7.com. Long Beach police, with help from the FBI, arrested a man accused of pointing a high-powered laser at multiple multiple aircraft for nearly one year. Now, I don't think he was pointing for one year. I was going to say, (laughs) he must have good batteries in that laser. Yeah, it's really good batteries. (laughs) (laughs) He's been contacted by several battery manufacturers. Yes. Uh, Yeah, anyway, uh, the Energizer Bunny, yes, has contacted him directly. Uh, Mark Allen Barger, 46 years old, which means he should know better, allegedly pointed the laser at the Long Beach Police Department's helicopter commercial airliners, and at private planes within the vicinity of the Long Beach Airport. Police said he anticipated the arrival of aircraft and pointed the laser at their cockpits. His arrest came after, yes, Liz, I was born in Long Beach, but I had nothing to do with this. I wasn't there. (laughs) Um, His arrest came after police narrowed down the location of where the laser was coming from. Uh, Detectives and the FBI conducted an operation January 18 in which they allegedly saw Barger leave his home in the 1600 block of Silva Street, and no, I did not live on Silva Street, uh, Barger was seen pointing the laser at the he- police helicopter multiple times, according to the Long Beach Police Department. Uh, Barger was arrested and booked on one count of felony discharge of a laser at an occupied aircraft in violation of parole. <laughs> so I guess he's, he's, seen, uh, he's, he's had trouble with the law in the past, apparently. Uh, he's being yeah. held without bail. Good. Um, yeah. So that's positive. Yeah, so he's quite, you know, criminals are not the brightest people, Liz. Uh, she's saying. Those lasers yeah. are there. Yeah, but, well, you know, pointing it at a police helicopter is like yes. not a smart thing to do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hello? Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to get back at these people for putting me in the slammer. Exactly. Right. Oh. I'm going to blind them. we've got one, got rid of one. Yeah, at least one. Yeah. All right, moving on. Uh, Virgin Australia wins an appeal against a flight attendant who fought dismissal for napping and watching a movie during work hours. Oh, I remember the original story to this. Mm-hmm. And this yep. is Paddle a Your good Own follow. Canoe. Yeah. Yep. This is from PaddleYourOwnCanoe.com. Uh, so originally, the court uh, basically said, yeah, yeah, it wasn't uh, that big of a deal and you should rehire her. Um, so, you know, it was in favor of the flight attendant. And I'm going, this was a check ride. 
and she was napping and watching a movie during a check ride. Mm-hmm. Gotta be kidding me. Yeah, so that tells you a little bit about her attitude. <laughs> uh, Devania Blackburn, a veteran flight attendant who had worked for Virgin for uh, Virgin Australia for around 14 years, was terminated in July of 2021 following a short investigation into her conduct during a one-month period, including, a, uh, as Nick just mentioned, a training flight. The slew of allegations made against Blackburn included accusations that she had napped and watched a movie on her iPad during the training flight and that she stole four packs of food, which were meant to be given out on flights. Hmm. Uh, Blackburn also faced disciplinary charges of reporting <clears throat> late for work and breaching Virgin Australia's strict uniform standards by failing to wear makeup or stockings. Following her dismissal, she made a complaint. To I wonder how many of the pilots have been dismissed for not wearing their stockings. Well, <laughs> I'm not sure. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I presume it's compulsory for the pilots to wear stockings as and, well. And to wear makeup. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, the court ruled that despite numerous and strongly termed adverse findings against the flight attendant, her dismissal was harsh, unjust, and unreasonable because there were mitigating circumstances, including her long service with the airline. Oh, I see. So if you've been with a company for many, many years. Yeah, you then, can do whatever you like. Exactly. <laughs> I do worry. I really do. Yeah. Um, anyway. The good, the the happy news, and the and you know the the thing that we like to see here is that um, after Virgin Australia filed an appeal against the ruling, um, let's see, the appeals panel sided with Virgin Australia, concluding that Blackburn's years of service to the airline don't outweigh the unsatisfactory conduct that she engaged in. Uh, the court also found that Blackburn was aware of the required conduct during her training flight and that she, quote, chose not to comply with the correct procedures. I don't want to, because I've been around here for 14 years. Can't yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, I just, gather, sorry, yes, Nick. Well, I'll just go ahead, and Captain Nick, and I'll go after you. I was just going to say that they argue the commissioner of the previous uh, inquiry made a litany of mistakes in her really, including the decision to ignore previous disciplinary warnings. I think the writing was on the wall for this attempt. I can't mm-hmm. believe that she wasn't found uh, at fault the first time. Yeah. Yeah. Th- to like, to be very concise here, this is a person that was sleeping on her job and stealing from her company. And it was not a straightforward they did not have the straightforward ability to fire her. Not only did they have to go through an appeal, they lost an appeal, then they had to go through another appeal. It's just mind-boggling the amount of money and effort that many people had to put into this situation because a company cannot fire someone who is sleeping on the job and stealing from them. Yeah, that's yeah, sad, I it? have to agree. I mean, it's just awful. But there you go. There you go. That's the Come on, Australia. Buck up. <laughs> buck up. Let's get <laughs> and, on... You know, in yeah. a, in terms of like the uniform thing, I think there could probably be like, there's got to be a better way to approach that. But there's got to be a uh, a path to if people are concerned about stockings. Like I remember going through, I remember going through the uh, um, emergency egress training at with the FAA, and that's one of the things that they highlighted is that they strongly recommend uh, all these airlines who require their um, flight attendants to wear heeled shoes and stockings and that sort of thing to get away from that. Cause it has a, 
adverse effect on safety if there's a fire or if there's stuff like that. But, oh, God, uh, yeah. Can you imagine going down a slide in, first of all, in nylons, which will probably get very hot and uh, they will probably burn onto your skin. Yeah. And but then, then yeah. to try and have to run away from the aircraft in bare feet, possibly through burning fuel, you go, what the hell? I mean, yeah. But the nylons are sexy. Yeah, um, yeah I know. <laughs> I know. We've been selling that to put people on airplanes for ages. Perhaps it's time to go, we provide travel uh, for you from A to B. Uh, yeah. You know? We don't yep. need to sell the airline on sex anymore. Yeah. Boo-hoo. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm a boring old man. <laughs> yes, we have a nice, happy, feel-good story to end our oh, news segment Thanks. today. Uh, this uh, from MSN.com, uh, Acme's sister airline, Delta. Actually, it's not even Delta. It's a Delta connection carrier Endeavor flight attendant, um, went viral after a flyer posted a photo of him sitting in the aisle to comfort a nervous passenger. We're displaying that picture right now. Um, he comforted a passenger during a turbulent flight. Um, that's a good question, Liz. I can't tell in this photo if he's wearing stockings or not. Or high no, He's not wearing a seatbelt, though, and the seatbelt signs on. <laughs> oh, good point. <laughs> Uh, but uh, you know, point that, that one out. <laughs> yeah, but the turbulence is, doesn't affect flight attendants. We all know that. <laughs> um, anywho, uh, flight attendant Floyd Dean Shannon calmed the passenger, and another flyer photographed the moment. So she was very um, nervous during turbulence. Uh, the photo of this act of kindness has, kindness has since gone viral and soothed, soothed other nervous flyers. I wish I could speak better today. Um, I'll put your teeth back in. Okay. Oh, good idea. Thank you. Hang on. Okay. Hey, that's gonna, I That's going to sound pretty realistic on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I just, I just put my dentures back in. Uh, Delta flight attendant, uh, Delta connection carrier flight attendant Floyd Dean Shannon said, hey, I have you. And he crouched down. Uh, as he crouched down in the aisle to comfort a passenger on a recent flight. Ha! Recent flight. Hmm. Uh, the woman named Shannon was flying from uh, Charlotte, North Carolina to New York's John F. Kennedy International Airport. I know it's confusing. <laughs> uh, the, 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 a lot of Shannons in here. On January 14th, 2023, when the plane experienced turbulence. Um, anyway. So yeah, the well, I, I guess it is a lovely feel-good story, and this mm -hmm. this bloke is a great ambassador for uh, his yep. airline, uh, and um, just for the job that flight attendants do in general. You know, uh, we go on and on about they're there for your safety, but these guys are experienced uh, at flying, uh, guys and ladies, and you know some of them are really good at this kind of. Uh, job of calming the passengers looking after the passengers uh and if necessary keeping the passengers um on the straight and level when it comes to you know disruptive passengers or uh, you know god forbid uh, directing them how to uh, evacuate the aircraft in emergency so i take my hat off to all flight attendants out there particularly this guy and i'm sure he was mm -hmm. wearing a seatbelt extension Oh, yeah. Very long extension. <laughs> <laughs> 
I can't tell you how many times I've had flight attendants come up and comfort me because I was a little nervous about the turbulence. I don't blame you. I, I always used to like to have a flight deck on the uh, flight deck on the, <laughs> the <laughs> flight deck crew on, on the flight deck. <laughs> if you pardon the expression. Uh, we know what you mean. Okay. Well, that ends our news segment. And, of course, that means that it's time now for getting to know us. Getting to hope that uh, you'll like us and uh, all that. Oh, yeah, I should mention that. Um, thank you, Liz. Uh, so you'll notice that uh, the uh, lovely doctor, Steph, is um, absent today uh, because she is at a, I'm putting up air quotes, a conference in um in yeah. Salt Lake City or Chile actually, conference uh, conference on hypothermia isn't it Park this City, year? I think something like yeah. that yeah we've seen some photographic evidence of her hard uh, at work at the conference um she has a fine going selection of ski gear have you noticed that yeah and as Liz mentioned uh, everything is really going downhill uh, for her <laughs> at the, the conference yeah, uh, so uh, we miss you, Steph, and we hope you're having a great time there and learning a lot from uh, the conference. Um, let's see, who would like to start with uh, getting us Well, I think you should start for oh, a change, Chef. Okay, well, let me do that then. Okay, first of all, I forgot to mention last week on um, a trip a couple of trips ago, about a week or two ago, probably more like two weeks ago. Um, coming off of a flight, uh, in the, one of the concourses at the Atlanta international airport. Um, I met, uh, a listener, Matt Peters, and it was nice meeting you, Matt. Thank you for taking the time to come by, uh, before you were going to, uh, start your surface travel, um, to your destination. And, uh, anyway, it was very nice meeting you. So I wanted to do the shout out to Matt. And, uh, let's see. Oh, also I, I talked about it on the show. Uh, I was out flying on my birthday and had a layover in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I mentioned that, uh, uh, Mr. Gregory, Larry Geezer, um, provided quite, um, uh, a reception for me when I, uh, exited the jetway into the, into the terminal building. And, uh, we played the, a little bit of the, uh, the gate area, gatehouse area, singing happy birthday to me. And, uh, but there was more to that recording, and he uh, sent that in just a few days later, and that kind of uh, dropped through the cracks in the uh, old APG Weren't there a couple system. of dinosaurs present? Uh, no, not in this case. Oh, that okay. Was, uh, that was a couple of years ago on my uh, last flight on the, uh, on the Mad Dog. Uh, that's uh, right. This this was in uh, Tulsa, no and it was just uh, yeah, no no dinosaurs. I was the only dinosaur that was uh, <laughs> present for this one. Um, but uh, Larry uh, did some editing. He said he was going to fix it in post, and he certainly did. He said he's attached the complete recording of the meeting in Tulsa, which has some previous commentary and was fixed in post to delete references to that other airline. Okay, thank you very much. <laughs> He goes, see you next time, maybe the maybe at the Irish place, uh, Kilkenny's. And he sent me a link to that. So we'll, oh, we'll see. Some good Check beer, uh, Kilkenny's. May I ask um, what Larry's post-nominals are? P-E? 
Um, that is professional, professional excellence. Yeah, yeah, I think it's or professional and physical professional education and, and enthusiastic, <laughs> or it could be. Uh, <laughs> no, I can't say that. Um, <laughs> no, you definitely can't say that. <laughs> Premature education. No, you can't say that either. <laughs> <laughs> I don't anyway. know how I'm going to be in trouble. It was Nick's <laughs> fault. <laughs> okay. Uh, before we get into any more trouble, let's go ahead and uh, play this audio that uh, Larry lovingly prepared for all of us. Here we go. Hello, APG crew. This is Larry Gregory, the geezer. I'm at the Tulsa International Airport now. There seems to be a large crowd milling around gate A4 for some reason. I think word's gotten out that Jeff's headed to town. It's like Santa Claus arriving. There's there's a bunch of well-wishers. And uh, if I can get through the crowd, let me see if I can get up. I think the mayor's over here. He may be making a proclamation. Let me uh, hold on just a second. Let me get a little bit closer. Uh, GT. Yeah, it's uh, the air, you know, Jeff Mills. Jeff Nielsen. Oh. Okay. Well, well thank you, Mr. Mayor. <clears throat> Sorry, that wasn't it. Okay, well, we're anxiously <laughs> awaiting the arrival of the flight, and I'll, uh, I'll be back in just a second when we hear it coming in. The 951, we see the airport. The Mass 216 visual approach from a 386 right, connect tower 1 1.2, take care. Go to tower 21, 2 clear the visual 36 right, uh, 951. Go to the 951 is with you on a right base for runway 36 right visual. Okay, uh, clear to land, 36 right, the 951. The 951, use caution first, uh, Okay, the 951, we use caution, thank you. All right, looking out the window, here it comes. Acme 951, and the tires are just now gently touching down, and in a moment they'll be taxing over to the gate. So stand by for further news. A hush has settled over the crowd. The gate agent sees Captain Jeff coming down the gateway, and and now he picks up his microphone. It's his birthday today. He's been flying with Delta 25 plus years, and we just want to come up here. 34 years. And we just want to sing happy birthday to you real quickly. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Captain Jeff. Thank you, Cheryl. We also want to welcome you to Flight 951 Service Atlanta. We're recording. We can just I can fix it in post. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. Yeah, so that was a surprise. Did you, did you, were you responsible for all that? I couldn't get the mayor to do it. I couldn't get him to do a proclamation. He's busy. Well, that's a little disappointing. So welcome to Tulsa. You're early. That's yeah, right. thank you. We yeah, heard, uh -oh. we heard the singing. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody yeah. here was singing "Happy yeah. Birthday." Because oh. this, this, this is this guy right here. Oh my God, yeah. is this your friend? Yeah. Oh my God, hello. This is Larry. Hi, Haley. Haley. Nice I've heard of your comment. <laughs> hey, JC. Glad to meet you. I'm Siobhan. Oh, Siobhan. Nice to meet you. I've heard. Is this the one that? You know, okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what he's talking. Is he coming so, with us? No, he's. He just hangs out at the airport. He works. He works here. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, cool. So, yeah. I can't make it to the big party tonight. So, yeah. well, 
So we'll late, miss you. late and great. Maybe next time. You got a full size car to take you guys to town? Um, hoping it's a van from the hotel this time. <laughs> cool. We're, we're staying at our normal hotel. So who did the landing? <laughs> and it was very nice. Yes, I don't know it was. It I looked. watched it. But it felt really good. There was somebody back in first class who did not care for it, though. Yeah. There, was, there was somebody with yeah, I did hear some screaming back there. I thought it was screams of joy, though. Yeah, yeah they were just happy. Yeah. Well, you usually keep your eyes closed during the landing. I so do, it, until I hear something out of the first class. Thank you for line. All righty. Yeah. Well, welcome to Tulsa. Well, thank you, sir. I appreciate oh. it. Thank you for the, the wonderful reception. Oh, yeah. I'm going to have to ask you, how is the wind coming in? The winds are very strong, but, you know, it is Oklahoma. Well, and, uh, yeah, they're guessing to like about mm. 25, something wow. like that. Wow. What uh, I just heard on the radio that the uh, fellow that invented the wind chill factor uh-huh. just passed away. Really? Yeah, he, he was 85, but felt like 64. <laughs> so, so. <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> <It> was coming. <laughs> okay, well, you know. Larry, I always tell people, you're uh, always full of it. Yes. Full of uh, happiness and uh, great jokes. That that too. Okay. Well, back to you in the studio, Jeff. Okay. Okay. Uh, Jeff, it was so nice that they got the whole church choir there to sing Happy Birthday. (laughs) Yeah, right. Uh, It was not. Yeah, all all those passengers that weren't even, they were going on the flight, you know, leaving Tulsa back to Atlanta. Um, But... uh, that was nice that they, yeah, they didn't have to suck up to me, Liz says. Um, anywho, actually, that uh, was great, Larry. That was actually brilliant. Well done. And, you know, I Love said, that. you know, I was making kind of being facetious about uh, Larry working at the airport. And uh, I when, when I told Larry, I apologized to him that I forgot to or didn't realize that he had sent this more uh, complete recording. Um, and I said I was going to play it on the next show. And he says, thanks, Jeff. I shall eat sushi so I can wait with bated breath. Uh, anyway, he's a funny guy. Anyway, by the way, I do know Mayor G.T. Bynum. He had to approve my appointment to the City Consolidated Appeals Board, and he is a member of the Airport Board. And before that, he was City Councilor of our district when I was Chairman of the City Electrical Board. A great guy. Sorry I couldn't get him to make a proclamation for you. <laughs> yeah, well, that's okay. I'm not, I'm not too worried about that, Larry. But that just shows you that Larry... He he doesn't just work at the airport. He is a, a kind of a, a big deal there in Tulsa and uh, in politics and all that jazz, uh, mostly in professional um, electrical engineering. Um, and uh, what? Oh, should we do that, Liz? Okay. She's prompting me to. Thanks again, Larry, by the way. Um, yeah, I do want to talk about this, Liz. Uh, she said, uh, let's talk about what it takes to be a pilot. Uh, this from reddit.com. Um, so this guy uh, posted this and now we're not sure this is real or not. I mean, it almost sounds too ridiculous to be real, but we're going to read it anyway. Just maybe start a little discussion. Um, he says to the Reddit people, Redditors, I don't know what you call those people. I need the opinions of aviation geeks or av geeks and pilots on a matter involving my wife. I am completely serious and I need help. My wife, he, I, I would agree with him. Uh, My wife and I, (laughs) together for five years, married for two, no kids, have an amazing, happy relationship. I can't recall a single time we've ever argued to the point of a breakup or divorce. This issue, however, however, is causing me to reconsider the health of our relationship. Since my wife and I have been together, I have worked as a manager for a restaurant chain. I am an extremely passionate aviation enthusiast in my free time. 
I have spent thousands of dollars on flight textbooks, sim gear, and even built my own A330 setup. I've never actually flown a plane or started flight training, but I have uh, considered it for a long time. Oh, okay. Uh, even though my skills are not a career, I still consider myself as adept or possibly more knowledgeable than the average pilot. That being said, here's where the problem arises. My wife and I were invited to one of her male co-workers' houses for a barbecue. My wife is a senior software tech for a COVID startup. She's worked there since 2020, a lucky catch after she was laid off from her previous job due to the virus. It was my first time meeting many of her now close uh, co-workers due to COVID and working from home. I'd assumed she'd talked about me before, but as we were cycling through introductions, I became less sure. Uh, we make our way down the line to the host of the party, a new male hire that she has grown platonically close with. We exchange casual conversation, and Greg, the host, asked what I do for a living. My wife chimes in with, quote, he manages a, uh, insert fast food chain. It certainly comes with some benefits. I'm assuming she's referring to free food and a voice that implied nothing was wrong with what she said. I very quickly corrected her and told her or told him that I'm a pilot. My wife already knows how insecure I am about my job and how I'd much rather be introduced by my hobby. I've earned the title of pilot uh, through my 500 plus hours on a sim and thousands of dollars put into my craft. I think it is incredibly disrespectful for her not to acknowledge my skills and training. Just because I don't have the title of a pilot uh, on an overpriced piece of paper doesn't mean I'm not a pilot. Mm, okay. I laughed it off with Greg, the coworker, told him under my breath that my wife was often forgetful, which I'm sure he's realized just from working with <laughs> she her. She forgot Ooh, you were a, a pilot. <laughs> um, he seemed to brush it off casually. At this point, I'm fuming, but I don't go much farther than exchanging some nasty glances at my wife for the rest of the night. Mm, okay. As we pack into the car to leave, the argument starts. She feels as if I don't deserve my title as a pilot because I'm not professional. I told her uh, she is completely insensitive, insensitive to the work I've done, and she will never understand what it's like to study so much. She's currently on the couch as I type this. Am I really the a-hole for asking to be respected? Mm. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Sorry, sorry, sorry. From professional opinions. Yeah. Uh, you said know. it yourself, Mr. Whoever you are. Uh, it's a help. hobby. I'm sorry. <laughs> you can't have a hobby and then say, oh, well, that makes me a professional, so I'm going to give myself that title. Well, you know, also, I, somebody at some point in there, he tried to make the delineation that he, his wife doesn't want to refer to him as a pilot because he's not a professional pilot. And that has nothing to do with it. No, he's not no, a I don't know why he pilot, threw that one. Regardless of whether he's getting paid right. for it or not. <laughs> yeah. There are a lot of pilots that listen to our show and they're not professional pilots, but they're pilots. <laughs> oh, yeah. Even Very argue. well qualified ones. I've always and made they the do argument. Have, they do have that certificate, which declares them as such. And that's the, you know, the defining difference. Right. And I'd even argue that uh, those out there who are student pilots, even though they don't have the expensive piece of paper yet, uh, they're pilots. They're student pilots, but they're, they've actually been in an airplane and actually touched the controls of an air, like a real airplane. 
Um, yeah. I mean, and there's nothing wrong with being a sim pilot, but you can't oh, no. equate it with no, being no, no, they, an actual pilot. Let's just get that. Being a sim pilot can be a, a really engaging, a fun thing to do. Uh, and you can take it very seriously, as seriously mm-hmm. as you want to. And uh, you can um, perform extremely well as a, a simulator pilot. Um, but I'm afraid it doesn't matter how good you are, it doesn't actually make you a pilot. I mean, you don't have that responsibility that a real pilot has. Right. Yeah. I, I can't imagine this thing is, is real. But, yeah. uh, no, but me, I do love it. It's for great, me, with the, the audacity for him to say, like, I am as adept or more than the average pilot. Than the average pilot. Well, he may be right about that, actually. <laughs> I mean, average pilot. No, I would. No, that's not true. Well, he, you see, the point is, he may go up to some A330 pilot and go, uh, do you know how many stages are in your compressor on your engines? And he'll go, a lot. Mm-hmm, what, five, <laughs> yeah, four. And he'll go, well, I know. So that mm-hmm. gives me more technical knowledge than you. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's quite possible that if you study hard enough, you can learn an awful lot about an airplane. But technical knowledge, or just quoting facts, I'm afraid, isn't the be-all and end-all. No. No. And trust me, uh, real pilots will not be really impressed with the knowledge of how many <laughs> compressor sections People used to ask me, what engines are in the F-18? And I used to go, uh, jet engines? Big ones. <laughs> <laughs> the jet engines. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Let's I see. Was um, getting old, from our audience, um, uh, Maine Marin says, uh, how many crashes has he survived? <laughs> I don't know, but apparently uh, some of them have uh, affected his, he must have had some brain injury or something. Yeah, um, he might have banged yeah. his head on the monitor. Yeah, I think uh, this guy has some issues about, um, you know, just who he but is. But I do love it. It's, if, it yeah. if it's a, a, if that's a joke, true. I think it's a great joke. I think it's brilliant. Well done. <laughs> yeah. Um. And uh, just quickly, let me share this um, this picture that uh, oh, just yeah, recently, this is fantastic. Uh, recently added to our Facebook uh, discussion. Um, you haven't changed a bit. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I, I weigh much less in this picture of me in undergraduate, undergraduate pilot training. Um, I'm a student uh, pilot, and uh, I have very dark brown hair and... Uh, my mustache is a little thinner than it is now. Uh, in fact, it's, I don't even think it's growing in the middle of my lip. And, uh, and, and the reason why that was posted on, as a reply in the Facebook uh, page, on the Facebook page, was that I was uh, promoting the wonderful uh, video that uh, Captain Nick prepared as a video crew log for our uh, patrons. And I said, you know, I would like to put it out there as a public posting so that uh, those of you out there who are not patrons of the show might uh, see what uh, kind of thing can be available to you from time to time um, as a part of your uh, perk for for uh, contributing to the show financially. So, um, so that's what we did. But anyway, the wife of um, one of my classmates in uh, undergraduate pilot training uh, Mr. Barton, uh, the, uh, his wife, uh, is the one that posted this and, <laughs> and she goes, Oh, has she? 
Oh, what is she? Uh, here, let me let me take a look. Okay, and I'm I'm doing the same. She's saying that uh, that there are more details here. Um, that she's. Oh, okay. So I asked I asked Kathy uh, Haynes Barton um, how uh, her husband is, and um, let's see where is the response. I don't see that. Uh, oh, she did another picture. Why am I not seeing this? <laughs> uh, no, the second picture has m- much more uh, resemblance to you. Okay, let me. I think it's uh, just your facial expression. I suspect it's probably the same time frame, but okay. Um, I don't know why. Uh, apparently, I'm not doing something right because I don't see any of that stuff. But uh, anyway, well, I can't wait to. Look and see what. Okay, so they're iced in in Fort Worth, Texas. Um, her husband does not do Facebook, uh, but because they're iced in, uh, because of all the uh, terrible ice storms in Texas and some other states, uh, they're looking through old uh, photo photo albums, and she came she came upon these um, gems. So I'll put that in the show notes so you can see what a little skinny guy i used to be and look at i have Nick, to say uh, the facial expression is very similar to a picture <laughs> i've yeah. seen of you much more recently <laughs> i i agree with you the one that was actually uh the um the uh cover art i believe for a recent uh, yes i think i might have used it i was gonna yeah. put the two side by side and okay see what they look like all right that that would be fun Okay, uh, let me look at the second picture because for some reason I can't. Oh, okay. Uh, let me share that one. Yeah, okay, that does look more like me, you're right. Um, go over here to uh, present. Okay, there we go. There's a second picture. Oh, yes, and- that does. Oh, what a chiseled jaw you have. Oh, you know what? This is uh, so. The first photo was when I was still um, a relatively new student um, in pilot training, and this you'll notice um, I have my wings on my name tag, and so this is after we graduated from pilot training. In fact, Mike um, Barton here uh, was stationed in Alexandria, Louisiana, at. Um, I guess it was called Alexandria Air Force Base, um, uh, A-10 pilot. Um, so that uh, I was on a cross-country and stopped by uh, to say hello to uh, Mike and his wife uh, on, on base in, uh, in Louisiana. I love it, so. Jeff. That looks great picture of you both. That looks fantastic. Yeah. Well, thanks. You, you still it. have that kind of... Sly grin. <laughs> yeah. Well, mischievous uh, grin. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, that's just, Love see, it. that's pr- well further done. proof I was actually in, I was an actual Air Force pilot. I was going to say in that first photo, uh, Captain Nick, uh, you may notice the, uh, the Nomex flight suit is very, very shiny. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you first get these things, I don't know if it's the same for you guys, but uh, here in the, uh, in the U.S., at least it was back in the 80s. When you get a new uh, flight suit, um, it had the Nomex treatment to it and it finished the fire, not fireproof, but fire resistant, resistant, resistant um, 
coating, coating on it. Yes. And it, after, it, it took several washings to kind of wear some of that stuff off and it actually started to <laughs> so, build, so that it wouldn't to be get rid of it and go back to yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that first photograph I think was probably when that thing was darn brand new. Um, yep. Anyway. Um, so let me stop screen sharing there and, um, okay. So that's enough of me. Wait, I think maybe I, ha oh, I am just going to say, I was going to mention this, um, before we go to Nick, um, whichever one is, is next, um, <laughs> next trip, I'm, uh, leaving on Monday and, um, uh, I have a nice long Charlotte layover. I get in early in the morning, uh, in Charlotte, um, North Carolina. And I've already talked with Brad, one of our uh, community members and patrons. And it, Brad thinks that the only reason why I'm going to meet up with him is because he's an executive producer. <laughs> yeah, that's only the reason, uh, the only reason. But uh, no, uh, uh, Brad's a good friend and uh, he resides in the Charlotte area. And I mentioned to him I was going to be there. So if any else, anybody else out there in the Charlotte area on Monday, I know that's not a great day for meetups and stuff. Any more charlatans? Yeah, any more charlatans? Um, probably, I don't know where and when yet, but probably when will be around, I don't know, maybe four, three or four o'clock in the afternoon and to, to about six o'clock. I know some of you actually work for a living and uh, can't get off work until after five o'clock. So um, and it'll probably be somewhere in the general vicinity of South Park because that's where the hotel is. So anyway, uh, make sure you uh, follow us on social media and I'll try to recall uh, remember to put some kind of a um, of tweet uh, slash Facebook post out there regarding that. Okay, Liz says she'll take care of it. Thank you, Liz. All right, so which one of you Nicks wants to go next? I can go. I'm pretty uh, pretty sparse on my end. From mm -hmm. uh, that's what we hear. Yeah. <laughs> take take your hat off. We want to check in the uh, in the last week. What end are you the... talking? <laughs> All right. Uh, haven't done a bunch. Haven't done anything with, uh, worked on the airplanes a little bit. Haven't done any flying, uh, getting a little stacked up at work. So I've had a couple of, uh, long days with my day job. Um, and hoping that, uh, at the end of this weekend, we'll have the Luscombe put back together so we can start flying again. The cool. weather's been miserable around here. The highs have been around, uh, the high teens. So it hasn't been real. I haven't been real excited to get out and about, but we uh, we should be recovering from that in the next day or two. And the weather uh, is hopefully looking pretty decent for the weekend. Well, if you get in an airplane and you get some altitude, you get closer to the better. sun and it gets yeah. a lot warmer, right? That's true. No, <laughs> that's not true. <laughs> you do get closer yeah. to the sun. You may oh, not get warmer. Well, it does get closer to the sun, but it does yeah. not get warmer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. But it was, so what's what's going on with the Luscom? You, you're doing a just finishing up the annual. Annual, okay. Yep. All right. Very good. Uh, I guess the, we did talk about the Chiefs briefly last week. The Chiefs won, so they're playing in the yeah. Super Bowl. Uh, unfortunately, for the couple of 49ers fans who were, oh yeah, uh, in the chat chattering about last weekend, they um, sorry Tim. Yeah, they had their third quarterback get hurt, so they had their fourth quarterback for the season come mm -hmm. into the game. And then he got hurt so bad, they actually had to bring their third quarterback back into the game who uh, had hurt his elbow and could not throw the football farther than about five yards. <laughs> so it was a uh, serious, sad, sad situation. 
Well, you know, I don't think it matters how good their rushing game is when the defense is like, nobody's got to play further than five yards yeah, for the we ball. Know what you're do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, it was a it was an uphill battle for the 49ers that they did not win. So now here's a question: If you've got someone on the team who can throw the ball but isn't uh, one of their nominated quarterbacks, is he allowed to take the quarterback's position? Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, we can. Okay. Yep. And they tried that. They had one of their running backs make one or two passes, but it. Uh, didn't work out for them. Oh, what a shame. Yeah. Oh, this oh, is okay, a this right. is an interesting point to bring up. So um the Cincinnati Bengals, who beat the Chiefs in the playoffs last year, uh the Chiefs have this amazing quarterback that for the last three or four years everybody has said is like the next great NFL player. And uh the Cincinnati so Cincinnati's beat the Chiefs uh three times in the last year and a half. Chiefs have probably lost uh three total games to everyone else in the league. And so before this big game, which is being played in the Chiefs stadium, um, the Cincinnati Bengals started referring to Arrowhead Stadium, which is a Chiefs stadium, as Burrowhead, because their quarterback is Joe Burrow. And then the mayor of Cincinnati actually came out with a proclamation on his Twitter page uh, stating that the Bengals owned the Chiefs and that the Chiefs quarterback needed to take a paternity test because the Bengals quarterback was his daddy. <laughs> so Ow. after they lost the game, that did not that did oh, not end well for them. Yeah, <laughs> talking <laughs> trash. That is that's yeah, great. Patrick said something about that after the game. Didn't yeah. He? Yeah. 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 Yep. Wow. Yeah, brilliant. Tim Van Ram uh oh, look in, at Tim uh, Van Ram. San Francisco Bay doing Area a nice uh, Patriots impersonation. Who cares about this year? We have rings from many, 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 yeah. many, many, many. Let me show you my rings. Many, many, many years ago. I don't want to well see well Jeff's ring. Uh, so. Let, hey Tim, let's see the rings. Are you do you have some? No, I don't think you do. Jerry Rice actually so uh, a very famous Niners receiver actually did that at the game. He was down on the field. It was in Philadelphia. Oh. I assume he was getting chirped at by all the fans, uh, and he just pulled him out and put okay. started putting him on his hand and <laughs> uh, was holding up all five. I think he was there for all five of them. Um, wow! I don't know. He had a ton of rings on. It was pretty funny. Yeah, Captain. Oh, before we go to Captain Nick, uh, Main Man Micah says, "No, wait a minute, Jeff. You're going to be in Charlotte. Didn't you make an appointment with your favorite doctor?" And uh, well, my favorite doctor is in the Atlanta area. Oh, I see what you mean. Dr. Steph. Um, yeah, I, uh, I'm hoping that I'll see Dr. Steph as well on, uh, Monday. I don't know if she's supposed to be back in town or is it a two week conference? Not sure. Um, might be traveling back that day. Um, Micah, but, uh, but Hey, if she does make it to the meetup, uh, that gives even much more incentive for people to show up because she's much more attractive and, and knowledgeable, smarter, all the things than I am. Um, okay, Captain Nick, I, I hate to mention this, but it looks like you have, well, is this some kind of a new pet you have? Uh, in a, a, a <laughs> well, no, you? it's just in honor of Groundhog Day. It's the closest oh. I could get. Okay. I, I'm pretty sure it's not a groundhog, but it's some rodent that lives in America. <laughs> uh, so, and apparently likes showing its butt. But, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, there you Don't go. Don't we all? So, yeah. Um, uh, the uh, big news I have is that I had a meetup with one of our listeners. Now, Garrett contacted me, um, oh, a couple of years ago and uh, said, 
you know, I uh, get into London uh, reasonably frequently. And, um, you know, any chance we have meet up, but the pandemic really sort of put paid to that. So um, out of the blue over the weekend, I got an email saying, you know, I'm actually going to be in town um, on a layover. And I, at that point, I wasn't sure what Garrett did, but uh, he um, is a, a first officer with a major legacy airline, American airline, and... Um, uh, fly sort of uh, 7576, and uh, he was uh, coming over. So I said, well, actually, I've got I'm, – I'm free tonight. So if you want to meet, yeah, I can jump on a train, and uh, we can do that. So it's exactly what happened. It was real short notice. I did put a quick uh, mention in uh, StreamYard. So if you're not in StreamYard – no, StreamYard. If you're – what's that Slack, other bunch? right? Slack, there you go. Yeah. If you're not on Slack, you know, you wouldn't have stood a chance because, uh, um, you know, we, we could have perhaps got together. But anyway, Garrett and I uh, met up at uh, Waterloo Station uh, uh, beside a non-existent Costa Coffee, which Google claimed was there, but <laughs> it's obviously moved on. Oops. So uh, he, he found me, which was great, and we went and found a lovely little italian restaurant and i found out a bit about garrick which is really nice so i'm just going to play some video now hi there uh i'm my name's garrett i am a uh first officer for uh acme globe uh over here from uh chicago uh i've been at uh, uh my current airline for about eight years prior to that i was at uh couple of uh, other regionals in the United States, uh, flying throughout the U.S. And before that, uh, flight instructor, and uh, just like Steph, I uh, also uh, used to drop skydivers. So we're just uh, here having a lovely dinner, and uh, just wanted to say hi to everybody, and it's great meeting Nick, and thanks so much for this opportunity, Nick. I currently am flying the 757, 767s, uh, mainly international, although uh, do a little bit of domestic flying. And uh, I've been on this aircraft for eight years. Uh, it's great to fly a Boeing, even though uh, Nick is uh, now giving me a sour face. But uh, uh, That's his normal face. Uh, flying period is great. So even if it was an Airbus, I would I would enjoy it. Back to you in the studio, Jeff. Thanks. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I, I don't know how to turn that. Oh, I guess I remove oh, that. There yeah, we go. So uh, it was a delight to meet uh, Garrett. He was full of good stories about his uh, flying career uh, and what he got up to. He's a uh, you know he's got a great family life. Uh, and, uh, you know, I get the impression he truly enjoys his job and it's just for him living the dream. So uh, it was a pleasure to meet up with you, Garrett. I'm sure we can get together again uh, sometime in the future uh, and uh, do it again. Uh, we had a lovely meal in this super little um, Italian restaurant. Uh, we just basically walked out of Waterloo and started nosing around. And uh, there re really was great. Great food. I thoroughly enjoyed the evening and great uh, chatting to Garrett. So that was a pleasure. And then 
<laughs> Liz popped the picture up. Perhaps she could do it again. There's a map of London. After we finish this meal, which uh, I got on the 9 o'clock train to get back to Liz, Garrett then uh, did this 10-mile walk down through London, which I thought <laughs> was a great idea to put himself, uh, you know, other than, of course, the problems of perhaps meeting ne'er-do-wells in the uh, narrow streets of London. Uh, but he obviously didn't because he got back to his hotel safely. But I thought, what a great uh, thing, walk along the embankment there and up through uh, Smithfield Market and then uh, through Covent Garden, uh, St. Giles. Oh, he went through Soho, which is the famous red light area of London, before he yeah. came back. It says he was there for about an hour. Yeah, well, actually, I think 15 seconds is what it says. <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> before he made it back to his hotel at the corner of uh, Hyde Park there. So, uh, uh, yeah, he, he is one of these guys who loves getting around and seeing uh, the cities he visits, and he visits a lot of European cities. So uh, it was an absolute pleasure, Garrett, and I hope we get a chance to meet up again, and thanks very much indeed for uh, making the connection and enjoyed your company. Oh, yeah, I do want to call talk about that crew log, Liz. Um, uh, this is part of the, uh, as I mentioned before, one of the benefits of uh, becoming a patron of the uh, uh, Airline Pilot Guy show. And uh, Captain Nick, as we all know, because of his amazing plane tales, is very creative. And uh, not only is he creative at producing his plane tales, but uh, producing videos about him producing plane tales. And the title of his uh, video crew log is Telling Tales. And so that was uh, that was very nice, nice and short and sweet. And it kind of shows the process, uh, just a little glimpse of the process. I mean, there's much more involved uh, in making the sausage for the, for the plain <laughs> yeah, I, I thought a, a three-day video would have probably been a bit tiresome. <laughs> yeah, it might be. Yeah, might be pushing the uh, limits there. Yeah, it's very kind of you, Jeff, but I'm by no means uh, – uh, consider myself uh, talented in this field, but I'm, you know, learning. Uh, with uh, uh, this is my one of my first uh, endeavors into uh, video editing, etc. So, well, you know, it reminded me of uh, the style, anyway, almost like a NPR, you know, uh, public radio um, kind of a style. Uh, or, of course, that's just radio. Um, what would that be like? PBS, public broadcasting. <laughs> that would be better. Actually, have they have video? Um, but in that kind of a documentary kind of a feel to it, I, I, I liked it. It was very nice. Cool. Well, thank you very much. Appreciate that. Uh, yeah, let's talk about your other one of your other many creative pursuits, and that, of course, uh, is the uh, the cover art. And uh, the last show title was <laughs> again creatively from uh, Captain Nick's mouth: "Thumb in bum." Mind in neutral, and we were referring, of course, to the uh, jump seater on the. Uh, the yeah, it was a pretty uh, common Air Force phrase when I was <laughs> serving to describe someone who'd, who'd let the world move past him without really taking any interest in it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I was just trying to work out how to do it reasonably politely, and luckily I managed mm -hmm. to find some. Oh, you did a very good job of doing that. Yeah, <laughs> very kind of you. <laughs> yeah, I, I was just trying to work out what airplane that is. What do you reckon it is? I mean, it's obviously a bit of an old wreck because there's plenty of instruments missing. Yeah, uh, but uh, it, looks it looks like four engines to me. Boeing layout. Mm -hmm. It's got the Boeing mm -hmm. flap, Boeing airspeed. 
Yeah, I'm sorry. It's uh, four. Speed break. What do you think, uh, Nick Camacho? Does it look like a 747? I have. With that uh, old. Uh, no idea. Yeah. yeah. I made the APG number fairly easy to find. Yeah. So. You know what? Actually, I was looking at that earlier today as when I was preparing for our show today. And I was going, where the heck did he put it? And then finally <laughs> I saw it. It was so obvious right there in the N1 uh, instrument on the uh, number one engine up there, uh, just there above the. Uh, yeah. That's good. It is a anyway, 747, uh, an old, funny. a 100 ver- um, uh, Sorry, model. The, one of the. the oh, well, ones. no. Yeah, no wonder they didn't need those extra instruments in those days. <laughs> <laughs> they flew VFR. <laughs> Yeah, quite right yeah <laughs> it's like a big cessna 150 exactly probably yeah that's a good uh metaphor um all right uh so anyway it was a a wonderful piece of art as as usual uh thank you very much captain oh, thank you sir and uh it's time now for us to talk just quickly about the coffee fund which is your way johnny how much more coffee no thanks to support the show financially. I love coffee. I, I love tea. tea. I, I love, love the APG, APG community. community. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. All right. Oh, yeah. That's Jeff Smith, the uh, jingle master for a lot of amazing, professional, large audience podcasts. Of course, we're not talking about ours. Um, but we're, we, we have Jeff Smith too. Anyway, thank you, uh, Jeff for, uh, singing the coffee fund, uh, jingle for us, uh, coffee fund, your way to support the show financially, as I mentioned, uh, a couple different ways to do that. One is the coffee fund classic method, which is, uh, basically a PayPal donation page. And that's for, you know, every once in a while, periodic donations and, uh, Bruce Tucky, uh, sent us a nice generous contribution via from Ontario area. All right, Bruce, a place to grow, a place to stand and all that. Thank you very much for your very nice uh, contribution. And the other way to support us is to become a patron via Patreon, which we recommend for those of you who want to do recurring contributions, which we definitely encourage. And uh, we don't have any uh, this week, uh, any new patrons, but we're a, a great group of several of you out there who are uh, patronizing us via pa- Don't patronize me. No, do, please. Uh, we really appreciate it. And now we move on to feedback. Captain, incoming message. Okay. Um, let's can, what's that? Oh, I can't, I thought you were saying email, email. What, what, what do you mean? <laughs> Plain tales. Okay. Okay. I understand now. Thank you, Liz. <laughs> All right. Oh, we don't have a bumper for that. You're okay. We're going to voices go. in your head again. I am hearing voices in my head for sure. And you know what's really sad is I hear those voices even when we're not doing the show. (laughs) (laughs) It is That's a worry. (laughs) It is a worry. All right. Uh, You know what we're going to do? Without further ado, we are going to go ahead and jump right into the arguably best part of the show when we have them on uh, the the plain tale segment uh, from the old pilot. And uh, this week's installment 
is called RAF Form 414, Volume 20. Here we go. The Old Pilot's Plain Tales, RAF Form 414, Volume 20. I had just landed at Alice Springs, having only minutes ago, thanks to a small shift of my inertial reference system, flown my F-18 through Australia's one and only permanently active piece of prohibited airspace in the entire continent. Still unaware of the magnitude of my transgression, I parked the fighter on the apron and climbed down stretching after a few hours in the small cockpit. A couple of guys in Ansett Airline pilot's uniform were wandering up, keen to look over Australia's newest and most advanced jet fighter. I gave them the sixpenny tour, discovering that the captain was ex-Australian Air Force and grinning when they asked me if I could beat up the airfield on my departure. They assured me that everyone would be keen to watch. I promised to do my best and got on with the Hornet's turnaround. While I waited for the refueler to finish, I watched a couple of heavily built men dressed uncomfortably formally in the heat stride across the concrete towards me, and these guys weren't smiling. Indeed, they looked decidedly hostile. My stomach turned over a little when they opened their wallets and flashed ID cards at me so quickly that I didn't really get a chance to read them and asked, Are you the pilot of this aircraft? I was the only military pilot on the pan, so kind of assumed that the question was rhetorical and anyway it was quickly followed by another. And uh, did you just fly over Pine Gap? My reply of What's Pine Gap didn't seem to calm the situation at all. Unbeknown to me, a Cold War US-Australian treaty, agreed late in 1966, had given rise to a secret satellite surveillance base known by one of its names as the Joint Defence Facility Pine Gap. The base consisted of a number of large dishes covered in protective white domes that made them look like massive golf balls. It appears that the dishes allowed the control of US spy satellites as they passed over that large portion of the globe, which is Australia's home. Uh, The location near Alice Springs was deliberately chosen for its distance from the coast to prevent unfriendly aerial or ship-mounted surveillance. Operations started in 1970 when some 400 American families moved to this remote part of the outback. And since the end of the Cold War, operations have shifted towards anti-terror, whilst the staff numbers have now more than doubled, and the collection of domes multiplied again and again. Of course, information is available now that, at the time, was extremely sensitive, but my declared ignorance of the facility did little to placate my interrogators. Exactly the opposite, in fact. By now I'd put two and two together. After all, I was a highly intelligent (coughs) 
fighter pilot, and my discovery of a bunch of very large satellite dishes hidden under domes in the remote, arid, red centre of Australia, part of the Simpson Desert, gave me the clue that I was probably guilty as charged. I was pretty sure I had committed a transgression, the magnitude of which was yet to be revealed, but the safest form of action seemed to apologise, which I did profusely. I apologised for my navigational error, for being British, for having a funny pommy accent, for my ignorance of Pine Gap, although I thought that a bit counterintuitive, since I assumed ignorance of a secret intelligence-gathering unit would be a good thing, and tried to reassure them that I wouldn't be making that mistake again, since it clearly upset them so much. I thought I'd suitably abase myself when they spotted my camera with its telephoto lens sitting on my little pile of flying gear under the aircraft ladder. I'd pulled it out of the cockpit to take a selfie at Alice, something I tried to do at every airfield I visited at least once. Any change of heart after my display of earnest regrets was quickly replaced by more grim looks and they stalked off as it turned out, to plan their revenge. I duly finished prepping the jet, handed my next flight plan over to air traffic whilst asking for permission for a low fly past as part of my departure, and climbed in for the long leg over to Pierce Air Force Base near Perth in Western Australia. I wound up the Hornet, waved to the ANSIC guys in their 727, and taxied out. The circuit was clear, so the tower gave me permission for a flypast across the field, and I gunned the aircraft down the runway and off. I eased round in a left 270 and let down to a 100 feet or so, and in full burner ripped across Alice Springs in what I hoped was a suitable demonstration of Australian air power before pulling up and heading off for the long leg southwest to Perth. I took the burners out pretty quickly, since I needed to hang on to the fuel. It was a long leg, and I settled into a normal climb. As I left Alice behind, I had a quiet moment of self-congratulation for talking myself out of trouble. After all, I was a loyal member of the Royal Air Force with a very high security clearance, and now trusted to fly Australia's most advanced fighter jet. Little did I realise that any efforts I'd made in that direction had been rapidly wiped out after my flypast, which the security personnel from Pine Gap had taken to be the Air Force equivalent of me blowing them a raspberry whilst giving them the finger. As the miles ticked slowly by, I realised now that those long transits were a taste of things to come when I would become a dyed-in-the-wool airline pilot, and they lacked coffee and toilet facilities, but I amused myself by shooting down every airliner I came across, at least in the virtual sense, and locking my radar onto the trucks and road trains that occupied the few remote roads that I crossed, wondering how their speed-trap radar detectors were reacting as I fired a steady stream of RF down at them. 
Eventually, I let down towards RAAF Pierce, and after breaking into their circuit, landing, I confirmed for them that I was the F-18 that had earlier departed from Alice Springs. I was directed towards a rather special parking spot. The question had given me the hint that my earlier error hadn't been quite put to bed, and this was confirmed as I taxied up to a large reception committee. I eyed them up, noting that they had got some wing commander out of the bar who turned out to be the officer commanding operations, a few military policemen and several civilians who looked like grumpier clones of the grumpy men from Pine Gap. I had barely slithered off the wing to reach terra firma when the wing commander bluntly informed me that my aircraft had been impounded and was going to be searched. I tried to explain that it wasn't really my aircraft. It belonged to OC-77 Squadron, or perhaps his boss at 81 Wing, but ultimately the Royal Australian Air Force, of which he was a senior member, but my explanation was cut short. So, with a policeman on either side and my arms full of my belongings, I was marched off to an interview room. The men in civvies were at no pains to identify themselves, and to this day I have no real idea from which government department they came, and, in the case of the quiet ones that hovered around in the shadows, from which country. I had no reason to obfuscate, so explained how I ended up in my predicament several times before they started showing an interest in my photographic gear. They took the film from my camera, some exposed rolls and all my unexposed film, and then searched me and all my gear for any that I might have concealed. I was informed that my aircraft was receiving an equally thorough examination. I was only hoping that they could remember how to put it back together again as it was my ride home. It took a few hours, but at last I was released and allowed to go. My first call was to the British High Commission in Canberra, but on a Friday evening all I could do was leave a message with the duty officer. Likewise, my attempts to contact the squadron were fruitless, but more messages were left. A little later, in a hastily acquired hire car, I set off for Margaret River to join my father for the weekend there. After retiring from the airline industry, he and Carol, his wife, now owned a lovely restaurant there, which featured the fine wines of the area and had become famous for serving Nouvelle Cuisine, which Carol, a Paris-trained Cordon Bleu chef, prepared. I tried to enjoy their company, but I felt the repercussions of those few seconds over Pine Gap hanging over me like the sword of Damocles. Monday morning, and since my boss was still in the Philippines, I spoke to the 77 Squadron XO, Jono, who just told me to get back to Willie, and then I chatted to the air attaché, who said that he would look into my transgression. The folk at Pierce seemed to have successfully reassembled my Hornet, so I took off, bound for Royal Australian Air Force Base Edinburgh, near Adelaide, about 1,300 miles east across the Great Australian Bight. The Bight, B-I-G-H-T, 
a word that describes an open bay, which in this case was a huge oceanic one, looked like some vast creature had taken a bite, B-I-T-E, out of the bottom of the continent. However, its shape was actually caused when the landmass of Antarctica broke away from what was to become Australia some 50 million years ago. The coastline is typified by an almost unbroken line of rugged cliffs around 200 feet 60 metres high with some twice that height. The sea has a reputation for storms and rough waves and it's considered to be something of a marine desert, although it has a high population of sharks and whales. Conditions inland are also hostile as the bite forms the southern border of the Nullarbor Desert, the surface of which is made from the world's largest piece of limestone, 750 miles or 1,200 kilometres east to west. This inhospitable landscape gives rise to little plant life. Indeed, the word Nullarbor means no tree but it is home to the Air Highway, which at over a thousand miles has enormous stretches of Gun Barrel Strait Road. After refuelling amongst the P3 Orion's base there, I continued east across the width of New South Wales back to Willy and home. I sat down with the XO and recounted my tale, whilst he managed to stifle the odd snigger at my expense, but there was nothing much to do except wait to see what happened. I heard that there was some kind of inquiry going on, but I wasn't asked to take part. The aircraft's data recorder was milked of its long line of ones and zeros, and Jono spent many hours trying to piece it all together to establish my flight path. I got a few raised eyebrows from the execs when the parameters of my flypast of Alice were revealed, but no formal admonishment, and as the weeks passed, I began to wonder if it had all been forgotten about. Then, three months later, I got a large brown envelope from the National Security Agency via the Air Force Police. Looking at the red classification stamps that had been put on it and then crossed out, the now declassified contents were apparently considered safe to return to me. I broke open the seal and outspilled a few dozen beautifully processed 8 by 10 glossy photos of my travels up through Mount Isa, Darwin, Uluru and Alice. As I admired them, I realised just how lucky I'd been that I hadn't given way to the impulse I had to capture a fleeting image of some strange golf balls in the desert. There were few things that happened on the base that I was excluded from, and not just Pine Gap. It turned out there was going to be a day of Oz Eyes Only briefings for the operational RAAF officers on the base, which meant that the exchange officers were all excluded and at a loose end. As well as myself, there were a number of other exchange officers at Willie, ones from the US Air Force, US Navy, US Marines and the Canadian Air Force. 
Several of us lived on the same street, so we often got together after work, sitting on the curb drinking cold tinnies, whilst keeping an eye on the kids playing in the street. Lifelong friendships were formed. So when we heard that everyone was going to be otherwise occupied, Jack, USAF, Randy, US Navy, and I managed to get hold of a jet each, and we set up a 1v1v1 mission. I always loved this kind of combat, as it was a kind of free-for-all. Everyone was the enemy, and what's more, we had the pride of our services to uphold. We duly devised some rules. We divided the airspace into a big triangle and drew a side each. Whichever side of the triangle was ours, that side was our safe area, our regeneration zone, and death to any other player who crossed into it. The inside of the triangle was the play area where we could shoot at each other, but were also vulnerable to attack. If we got killed, we had to retreat beyond our sideline to come alive again. The ultimate goal being to kill both opponents and be the last man standing. If you couldn't do that, then it was whoever had the most kills. The briefing was a hoot, since there weren't any adults present. Trash talk abounded and egos were on full show. We flew into the play area and got together under the control of our fighter controllers and the fight was on. Of course, for a while nothing happened, since nobody wanted to be the first to commit. We had all worked out that the ideal situation was to wait until the other two got engaged and then rush in and wipe them both out. It was hard-keeping situational awareness, since we could only use our radars when heading towards our side of the triangle, and that meant we would eventually enter the play area and be vulnerable. However, patience is a virtue. We all made a few forays in and tried to trade missiles from a distance, but the Sparrow needed a radar lock to guide, which meant as soon as you committed to fire, you lost situational awareness on the other guy. We traded missiles a few times, but as soon as the RWR squawked from the third player, we pumped back into our safe zones to regroup. Eventually, the US Air Force and the US Navy had at each other. I guess they had more long-term competitiveness between them, and I got my chance. I came out at low level and engaged the nearest on the beam. It was Randy, and I got him with a winder kill, whilst he was occupied evading a missile from Jack. The great thing was you could call a winder kill straight away. You didn't have to time the shot out like a sparrow. I was coming fast from below and blew straight up beyond him in full burner heading for the moon. I was hoping Jack wouldn't find me straight away since he needed to break lock and start searching and I was going up rapidly. With one eye on my RWR, I kept climbing, topping out around 40,000 feet. Jack was calling, come out, come out, wherever you are. Leveling off, short of speed, I rolled the scanner down and began to search the sky. Nothing. Nothing. And then a hit about 10 degrees down. I rolled the captain's bars over the contact and locked the radar. The symbology immediately came up. In range. I've got it. I squeezed the trigger and watched the seconds count down. 
Jack had dived away, but he was in the no-escape zone. Two, one, zero. You're dead, Jack. Knock it off, knock it off. Full of beans, I joined up with them and we headed home. I was like a dog with two tails as we walked back from the flight line. Randy was giving me sideways grins and Jack was playing the grumpy old fighter weapon school graduate. In the debrief, I was full of it until it came time to validate our kills. My video cassette went into the machine and there was the winder shot as clear as day. Fast forward to me on the perch looking down at Jack. All was good until the trigger press. Jack was well below and I needed to pitch down to centre the firing dot and get a shoot cue or the missile seeker might not acquire the target. When it was obvious that I'd failed to achieve this last step and assure his demise, Jack's bellow of laughter filled the building. No kill, he shouted, and I led them to the bar with both my tails between my legs. Another awesome. <laughs> I swear, I love. I think those are my favorite uh, plain tales, Captain Nick. The uh, <laughs> form four one four. I mean, just hearing. Uh, it's amazing all the different uh, things that have happened in your flying adventures uh, over time. And uh, <laughs> wow, this is this is awesome. Well, I, I hate to say it, but uh, that Australian tour for me <laughs> was full of. Uh, similar events to Pine Gap and um, we'll come across the one where I nearly got court-martialed. Which is worse? <laughs> oh, yes. yes. It gets wow. considerably worse. What was your nickname? Bad Boy Anderson? No, the, I was just called NTP, Nick the Pom. Okay. So what, now uh, remind me again, Pom is a reference to uh, like a Well, it, it, there apple, are varying or? theories. Uh, it was just a generic term for someone from the UK. Um, okay. And it, some people said it meant prisoner of Mother England or P-O-M, uh, prisoner of Mother England. Other people okay. said it was uh, named after the pomegranate because the, the flesh of oh. which was... A bright pink, and when you come out with a fair skin and you're in the sun mm. a lot, you tend to turn a lot oh. pink. But there's no okay. real, uh, there's no, you know, guaranteed uh, answer to that question. But um, the, some Australians used it uh, in a nice way; others treated it as <laughs> mostly a derogatory. Derogatory. <laughs> but I, so, I, uh, Jilly, and I decided we would take that. Uh, and mm. in fact, we had a big sign made for our house, uh, the Poms Place. And uh, I think, uh, generally speaking, that was uh, well accepted. Uh, so, you know, we, we took it on board. We, we, we went along with the joke. More than happy to. Okay. So now I have to say, um, be, before I listened to your recording, I, I had the script, of course, because I'm, I'm on the crew of the Airline Pilot Guy show. And uh, I read through it, and when you were describing the fly past after that showdown with the people from secret agencies and stuff, I'm thinking, <laughs> yeah, you you got to be kidding me! You you did what? You did <laughs> you you did that? I mean, uh, that's exactly what I thought before you expressed 
how it was probably um yeah well i really had no idea what level of poo i was sitting in right (laughs) then uh you know i i knew i was in the poo but i didn't know whether it was around my ankles or around my head I would definitely so, have taken it that way, like you know the 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 middle finger and uh, you know like <laughs> yeah. up yours. I'm out of here. You can't do anything yeah. to me. <laughs> I think wow. I didn't do myself any favors uh, no. doing that. But then again, I had rarely ever been to an airfield like that where I hadn't done a beat up because everybody always wanted you. You're a military guy. You can get away with this. Uh-huh. Everyone wants you to beat up the airfield. And, uh, okay. you know, so well, I, for me, sense, it was nothing unusual. Um, but uh, these guys obviously took great exception to it. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would say yeah, so. I didn't, yeah, I didn't make anything a bit easier for myself. No, no, you didn't. No, no. But having said that, uh, I give my due to the authorities. Uh, you know, I was kept out of it. Whatever was happening above my head, no one told me about it. No one really. Jono was. Uh, Jono is now a skipper with uh, Quaint Arse, and um, he uh, told me a little bit about what was happening behind the scenes because I've the met clue. up with him uh, several times since then. He's a lovely guy. What airline uh, was that? Sorry. What airline were you referring to there? Quaint ass. Oh, okay. Gotcha. A different yeah, pronunciation yeah, that, than that I've famous heard. Australian <laughs> airline with the uh, the kangaroo on the tail. Uh-huh. Okay, gotcha. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, he, he told me that it was getting pretty intense. But uh, the wonderful thing about being a junior officer, as I was then, I was promoted while I was out there. But uh, then I was junior. And what's more, I was a guest in the country. I had this huge umbrella over me. I didn't realize how big this was. My my boss, JKM, the exo Jono, and the other executive officers went to enormous lengths to protect me from what could have happened. If if, if, if I think if I'd been one of their um, uh, Australian pilots, I think life would have been much harder. <laughs> <laughs> and saying that, and I do feel quite embarrassed about it. I think I, I pushed their level of tolerance right to the, the absolute limit. <laughs> so I, wow, I kind of feel a bit embarrassed about it now. But uh, at the time, I thought, ah, oh, this is brilliant. I'm bulletproof, more or less. Yeah. Well, apparently so. Apparently so. <laughs> Uh, although we haven't heard everything yet, so stay no, tuned. no, the piece de resistance is yet to come. Okay. <laughs> oh, and by the way, I have to say, and you know, I'm um, a, a healthy male heterosexual being, and uh, but that photo of you at the end, man, what a stud you were, dude! Man, that was uh, <laughs> amazing. <laughs> I can see why. Uh, Jilly found you an attractive uh, person for well, that that G, those G suits can hide a, a myriad of of stomach problems. You know, you do them up <laughs> and, tight and enough. reveal other areas. Exactly right. Well, they, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the air hose, Jeff. Oh, I'm sorry. I missed. I, yeah, I need to look. Yeah, okay. I need to put my glasses on. I guess. Yeah, I think you do. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, the the uh, black patch on my left thigh there concealed a large like about a seven or eight inch flick knife which i was quite surprised at it was part of the australian survival equipment what you know in your a flick knife yeah you know like a switchblade or something 
yeah, yeah switchblade. Switch that's what okay. you might call it. We yeah, called it a flick call knife. It, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that was part of their survival equipment. And they said, well, what's the point of having a knife that you need two hands to open? So they bought these vicious-looking um, switchblades, flick knives, and uh, that was your survival knife um, because you could just pull it out, press a button, and it went whack and turned into this absolutely horrendous-looking weapon. Apart from the fact that we regularly flew with loaded 9 millimeter pistols. Um, <laughs> yeah. The the northern half of Australia was so uh, heavily populated with um, these enormously dangerous alligators. They said if you eject one, you know, in the northern half of Australia, you're very likely to land in the territory of one of these alligators. So we're gonna, you're gonna fly fully armed in with nine millimeter Browning uh, automatic pistols. Uh, in case you need to use them to protect yourself against one of these <laughs> alligators. <laughs> you know, the largest alligator in the world is, has been caught out in Australia. So, I mean, and they're huge and vicious. Um, it was quite a joke, actually, because I think I'm trying to remember how many rounds the magazine held. <laughs> is, that, is that a picture of it right there? <laughs> yeah, they, that, Wow. That's a big knife. Yeah. I mean, the Australians—they have—they have very large knives. I hear they do, that they do indeed. Yes, yes. I'm sure that is his knife. Yeah, yeah. I think it is. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, so the Australians used to say, "Well, the the hide of these these alligators is so thick you'll never shoot through it with this damn pistol, even if it is a nine millimeter." Mm -hmm. uh, so best you fire ten at the alligator and save the last one for yourself. So, <laughs> yeah. Good advice. <laughs> Good advice. Good oh, advice. Wow. Uh, very entertaining as always. Thank you Thanks. very much for sharing all of this with us. And uh, I still think that there's a book in here somewhere, all these plain tales over all the years, <laughs> especially your personal experiences. One day, perhaps. Uh, be a bestseller. I'm if sure. I live that long. <laughs> yeah, well, we're all on borrowed time, aren't we? Uh, yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> I was right, like, I, must be some feedback. Get, get some, yeah, let's get do that. Feedback. Before we get into, get too serious here, let's uh, move yeah. over here to this from Els Pilato or Pilato. Pil I should have asked him when I was uh, doing my little um, video audio thing with him uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, it's a follow-up on a uh, news story that we talked about um, a, a few shows about few shows ago he says uh the a380 was ready for depart okay that was the uh, uh the event of the uh upper i guess i don't know what they call that upper door up u1 door upper the deck. upper left hand upper deck door um and uh the the slide deployed and into the upper jetway and, uh, oh, yeah, but uh, you can put the picture up there, uh, Miss Liz. Thank you. Uh, he says, uh, the A380 was ready for departure with the upper deck bridge still attached to, oh, all that information I was wondering about is right here in his feedback, attached to the UL1 door, the upper left first door. Normally, slides are armed after all ground equipment and jet bridges are removed. In this case, 
It appears that the door was closed and armed before the bridge had been retracted. When it came to retracting the weather awning, it was discovered that part of the awning was trapped in the closed aircraft door. Cabin crew were then asked to do the very unusual task of reopening the door before pushback to free the jet bridge. The aircraft door opening procedure is carried out by two cabin crew members with one operating the door and the other checking, but during their door check, I sensed they fell victim to that old devil confirmation bias. Thus, seeing the slide army lever was in the arm position, but their brain expected disarmed and registered it as disarmed. Once the door control handle came up, there was nothing they could do to stop it. The slide burst out of its compartment and the door assist bottle fired the door open uh, and flung the door open. Thankfully, the slide did not deploy into the jet bridge as the slide is stored in a compartment beneath the, the door, unlike many other airliners. And then he uh, attached the photo that we're seeing here, the uh, the door, the compartment that uh, has the that huge slide um, that we learned goes out and then down. Um, pretty complicated contraption. Uh, but uh, thank you, Els Peloto, for this. Is he has some sources familiar with the incident, and uh, we do appreciate that. Our our uh, APG community is just awesome. Oh, I love the fact that he calls some uh, your saucy source. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I should have read that. Uh, kind regards, your saucy source. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> what he great. means about that, but uh, oh, well, okay. I, I don't know. I've yeah. not. Uh, well, I've, I've I've kind of met him, and I I can see that. Okay. You know, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think a lot of airlines have slightly different procedures when it comes to who can open the door and what procedures. Uh, and um, once the door is closed on our outfit, only the most senior cabin crew member of the cabin crew, so the uh, f- the flight uh, supervisor, the supervisor of all the cabin crew, she was the, or uh, one of the training personnel, if you happen to have cabin crew training personnel on board, they were the people allowed to open a door again, uh, or a flight deck member. So if you, you had a, um, you know, a supernumerary, you could send him back to do it. And I think as, as part of the, importance because they come to a situation fresh they find out the reason and they go right well we'll do this properly go bing 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 check 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 Mm -hmm. and let's now open door if you're the person who's just closed it even if you've got someone looking over your shoulder if you think you've done it right and you go yes 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 bang open the door uh the if the person doing the double check isn't quite as confident and that everything's happened, they may not be quick enough or uh, or confident enough to step in and stop you. Uh, I guess that might be what's happened here. Well, you know, uh, we all know, or most of us, but probably all of us know that anytime something happens out of the ordinary, it really throws the sequence of events off. I mean, yeah, especially so I, I have experience with that in the cockpit and, it's it's so hard sometimes to just say, okay, hang on, let's just like push the pause button, make sure that we're in our normal flow again before we proceed because yeah. the chances of something going to go wrong is going to yeah. is very Particularly high. since there'll be someone on the outside of that door 
on the jetway, banging mm-hmm. away, trying to yeah. get your attention because they want to open the door, free this. Uh, and it's that sort of concertina uh, plastic um, device that just provides weather cover uh, when um, the jetway is up against the door. That's all mm-hmm. it is, and it's, it's relatively thin plastic. Mm-hmm. Um uh, so they'll be back. They're anxious to get that off because they don't want to be blamed for delaying the flight. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's very easy to get pushed uh, or get pressured into um, doing your checks quickly, and right. don't do that. Well, there. Uh, thank you very much, Els Peloto, for uh, sending us. Yeah, that, it, uh, yeah. Thanks for that because we were at a loss as to how this happened. Yeah, um, and also. Uh, Talking about uh, previous uh, subjects that we covered um, on earlier shows, uh, we talked about that Bonanza crash on our last episode, and Sam Dawson sent this to us regarding it, uh, referenced the Bonanza crash. Uh, first off, let me say that the pilot was dealt a bad hand, and I can't really criticize anything he did. I'm with Nick C on the best option I use to teach uh, in Bonanzas and still do some GA instrument training in simulators and Redbird full motion simulators. I will normally give instrument students a similar scenario several times in training. I teach, teach them to pull up to the nearest airport on the GPS and fly direct to the airport while preserving altitude. In this accident, ATC descended the airplane. And I would ask for pilot discretion to preserve altitude. Now, you'll remember also, this is Jeff speaking, um, that he was having trouble, you know, climbing. He was only getting 200 feet per minute. So, um, yeah, but that's a good, yeah, very busy airspace. But uh, we, I understand his point, uh, Sam's point here. Upon arriving at the airport, uh, then I'd start a left-hand spiral over the approach end trying to set up for a keyhole position of beam the touchdown point. In the simulator, I will set about a 500-foot ceiling. In the actual airplane, I will have them flip up their foggles at 1,000 feet AGL. And then he said, a 300-foot ceiling? Man. Yeah, right. I mean, such a huge difference between 1,000 feet and 500 feet. 300 feet? Yeah, not good. Anyway, so I'm continuing with Sam. Uh, By the way, the point made about throwing a brick out the window and following it applies to a Bonanza engine out. It does not have great gliding characteristics. I would also add that if this airplane had a vacuum-driven attitude indicator and directional gyro, these would fail as the engine spooled down as the vacuum pump is engine-driven. I, I didn't even think about that. If not anticipated, this can be very disorienting and cannot really be dupli- duplicated in the airplane. As an instructor, I can cover these instruments, but this isn't the same as having them tumble on you. If this pilot also lost his primary instruments, this would be a very tough situation. I would say almost impossible. Losing the gyros is much easier to duplicate duplicate in the simulator. I would highly recommend any instrument-rated listeners who fly GA try and book time in a simulator and try this. Keep the sunny side up. Sam Dawson. And uh, Nick, you uh, said that uh, you wanted to kind of uh, input a little bit on this, and I think you uh, gave me a link to a video. Yeah, I 
I just mentioned a couple of things at the end of the last show and uh, the ABS, which is the American Bonanza Society, the type club for bonanzas and debonairs. They put out a video today about how to, uh, I don't know, best manage the airplane in a glide. <clears throat> and uh, it was a pretty good in cockpit comparison of the uh, performance of the airplane with uh, both with the gear up and down and the prop forward and aft. So I thought it'd be a, uh, good thing to watch. Just maybe a minute of it. Okay. Here we go. And, oh, is it doing it again? Yes, it's doing it again. <laughs> I love this. Not. Okay. Uh, let me remove it from the And studio. one other thing I'll mention while we're kind of yeah. waiting is, um, yeah. I think I read somewhere on the internet, this airplane had G5s, which are um, solid state electronic instruments so they wouldn't have a uh, vacuum driven oh okay gyro instruments but that is a really good point right and it's almost a low a, a slow degradation of power is almost the worst case scenario right because if you have like a if you have a vacuum pump just go and then your attitude indicator starts doing something real funny it seems like it would be a little easier to pick it up you know but if you uh if you start losing engine power and you're kind of overwhelmed dealing with managing the airplane, trying to figure out where you're going to go with the airplane and you're slowly losing uh suction or your vacuum pressure and your instruments just start lagging and it's a much more insidious failure. It, I can't even imagine how you would catch that. No, I, I can't either with all the other things going on. Yeah. No. I, that's just uh, <laughs> as I said, a nearly impossible, if not impossible, nearly impossible situation to deal with. Okay, I think I have it uh, queued up again, Nick. So let me give it a shot. Conventional glides. Before I do that, again, let's look at our steady state best glide speed. We're at about eight degrees nose down pitch attitude today. About nine hundred or nineteen hundred, or excuse me, about fourteen hundred foot per minute rate of descent. I need to go down just a little steeper for the speed. About. 1500 foot per minute rate of descent. Now I'm going to pull the propeller to the low RPM position and adjust pitch attitude to maintain speed. And that's a very dramatic reduction in drag. And now to maintain speed, I'm just barely below the horizon line. Still at about my best glide speed adjusted for the weight of the airplane. My rate of descent now is only about eight, maybe 900 foot per minute rate of descent. Seven, eight, 900 foot per minute rate of descent. And my pitch attitude is almost up to the horizon. It's about four, three or four degrees nose down. Look at that rate of descent. Half, less than half of what it was before I pulled the propeller back. Now, if there's time, I'm going to do one more bit of the demonstration. I'm going to extend the landing gear. Here's coming. Do you want me to continue? Uh, no, that's fine. So the other thing he shows is he puts the gear down and then the airplane uh, kind of reattains that 16 to 1800 foot per minute down descent. Mm -hmm. And so what he's doing there is he's holding best glide speed for, which I assume for that airplane, for my airplanes, 105 knots uh, adjusted slightly for the weight of the airplane. Um, in that airplane, it's, uh, it's, it's going to be in that ballpark. Um, <laughs> yeah. It is. It's, it's hard. It's harder to train without oil pressure. <laughs> um, but what he's doing is so that that speed is a theoretical speed, best glide speed. So no matter what 
um, con- no matter what configuration you're in, the airplane's going to basically go the farthest, right? So what he was showing is while he's maintaining that speed, uh, the rate of descent was cut about in half on his numbers. It was more like, uh, five or 600 feet. So he went from like 1500 to eight or 900 feet. Um, but then when he put the, he pulled the prop back and he put the landing gear out, uh, essentially what that showed is that there's the, a similar, right? This is all like very, uh, it's reasonably abstract, but there's a, a similar amount of drag on the airplane between an airplane um, at idle power with the propeller pulled back and the gear down and an airplane at idle power with the propeller pushed forward and the gear up, which is, which is a little bit um, when I was learning to fly, I had a little bit of trouble um, convincing myself of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's uh, you know, when you start digging into efficiencies of propellers and all that sort of stuff, you, it, it becomes a little easier to understand why that is. Now, when you say the propeller pulled back, that means like you're making the angle of attack on the propeller more coarse. Coarse. Yep. Okay. So it's slowing the speed of the propeller down. Mm-hmm. So worst case scenario would be the blades completely flat. So in other words, mm-hmm. the core of the blade perpendicular to the direction of flight. Is completely that full flat. coarse or is that full fine? Uh, that's full fine. So that's okay. high RPM. Gotcha. Fine pitch. Yep. Okay. And so you're you're trying to slow that propeller down and provide as a little uh, drag as possible, right? Yep. Yep. And uh, okay. Yeah. And I was just Make- talking to somebody about this, so I was I was just going to show this super quick. It's getting a little nerdy here, but you can kind of see that bottom chart is um, basically blade. Oh, let me see. Yeah. I blade see, angle versus uh, drag, and so you can see as the blade flattens out the drag starts going up very drastically. And obviously once you get over to the, uh, let's see my left. So over here, when you start mm-hmm. getting into it, like a, basically a feathered position, which is what twin engine airplanes do that has, um, that basically has two advantages, right? One, it stops the, it stops the rotational speed of the propeller, uh, to minimize drag. And then also that the physical, uh, flat plate drag area is reduced also. Okay. Very interesting. I should also mention, uh, in uh, recently joining our live audience, Brandon Gonzalez, uh, podcasting on a plane, another great aviation podcast, um, he sent us some audio feedback regarding this incident as well. Uh, unfortunately, it's one of the, I'm having all those email issues, and I, he sent it to a, an address that I don't normally check, and so I do apologize, Brandon, but we're going to have his input uh, regarding this on our next show. But uh, good to, good it, to have it is a fascinating situation uh, with the tragic ending. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the physics of how to fly your aircraft and how to fly it the best at advantage and how to think through the how you might cope in the, the awful situation these guys are in is one of those fantastic learning lessons that makes you think these two guys suffered an appalling incident. But Perhaps there'll be a whole bunch of uh, similar pilots who will go, okay, well, I wonder what I will do. And it might actually generate enough, um, uh, you know, processes. Momentum um, in the training environment. Yeah, that will mm-hmm. make people think about how to, and it might save lives. Uh, and that's all you can really hope for in a situation like this. Right. Yeah. 
All right, very good. Uh, let's quickly try to knock out as many more pieces of talk, feedback. Talk faster, to... Jeff. Okay. Uh, this next feedback from Greg, number four. Um, I was listening to APG 554 this morning. This, by the way, Greg Peterson, our big-ass crane um, audience member. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, formerly the big-ass fan. Uh, I was listening to APG 554 this morning, and I have an unprofessional opinion. Greg, why are you being so unprofessional? Ah. Uh, anyway, yeah, that's um, opinion about what happened on the Delta 767-300 diversion. I'm sure Rick will tell me I'm full of something, but here's my theory. Yeah, good thing for you, Greg. Rick's not here, so he can't do that. Uh, based on the comments about what they ultimately repaired, the Canadian TSB reported maintenance replaced both gray water drain masks and a seal in the left wheel while uh, canted uh, pressure uh, depth. Uh, oh, uh, shoot. I always forget that made I have this. to not say <laughs> same <sequel>. mistake. Start <laughs> <laughs> <Darn> it. <laughs> uh, uh, the canted pressure deck above the aileron fuel centering and trim mechanism. It sounds like that when the labs flooded, the water seeped out, got into the controls, and froze at cruising altitude. The autopilots were fighting against frozen controls and said, I can't control this airplane, so I quit. Which is very true. That's the way autopilot systems work. And that's why many of us are so concerned about the idea of having autopilot systems just without pilots out there flying airplanes around. Yep. Because they'll do that. They'll just say, well, okay, that's it. You have the Too hard. Yep. Uh, and so they, they disconnected. When the pilots took over, they found the same situation. The controls were frozen. So they declared an emergency. When they descended to flight level 110, they regained control. As the control mechanisms began to thaw out enough to begin working again, and at the lower altitude, they were able to complete the flight. Again, just my unprofessional opinion, but it seems like a plausible explanation to me, Greg Peterson. He is an engineer, so um, what's oh, that? Oh, I like your thinking, Greg. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I don't think the control runs go into an air part of the aircraft that isn't heated necessarily hmm. i might be wrong in boeing you know never know what Boeing <laughs> are gonna do but uh oh, yeah that's true that's a good point most of those control runs particularly if you've got a leak in the fuselage and the control runs are in the fuselage they're going to be um above the freezing point so no just i see wet. they're outside they put them outside Oh, they run them down. <laughs> well uh, that'll teach room. them then <laughs> yeah <laughs> won't do that again will it <laughs> no back to the drawing board <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, let's continue on uh, with uh, item Am I right? Five. Sorry. Um, do you agree that control yeah, runs generally I, aren't outside? The, normally, I've not seen them on the outside of the aircraft. Um, <laughs> or in a place where they're likely to freeze. I, I guess. I don't, you know, I don't know if I know enough to know that that's true or not. Uh, but you fly an antiquant, antiquated I know. Airplane. That's like, you know. DC3 control cables are in a place where they can freeze. Are they? Just okay. like every other bit of matter in the airplane. <laughs> <laughs> well, Boeing didn't be build the DC-3. Hopefully they thought of something slightly more advanced. Oh, but it is a Boeing product now. Oh, as right. You, as Boeing as are you responsible have so for well... all the freezing flight control <laughs> that's, that's, that's your thing, right? It's a, it's a Boeing product just like the F-18. That's a very product. true. <laughs> Quite right, too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Maybe you. somebody out there can... Uh, can verify or not that assertion. Um, all right. 
continuing with Patrick. Um, hello, Captain Jeff and fellow esoteric aviators. Huh. I want to start by passing on my thanks and appreciation of your podcast. Listening to you all share your wealth of knowledge and experience really helps inspire and motivate me as a budding aviator. And the jokes along the way always leave me in stitches. What jokes? We're completely serious here. Um, my aviation journey has certainly been rockier. I see a better doctor. <laughs> yeah. My aviation journey has certainly been rockier than I originally intended. My early plans of taking to the skies were quickly grounded by a little-known pandemic in ah, recent years. Oh, you. Never heard of it. And now my studies are reaching the three-year mark. In addition, my city in Australia only has one flight school with a waiting list as long as the Australian coastline, Uh which is very long. Uh, So I have had to fly in the neighboring city instead. This presents its own problems as the next city is approximately three hours drive away. So That's the trouble with Australia. It's a damn big place. It is. Move to the United States. Yeah. Uh, So making the six-hour round trip every week has been a bit rough. But when you have a goal as bright and exciting as we aviators have, it gives me motivation to persevere. Uh, I also persevere. Persevere. <laughs> what did I one? say? Persevere. That's a place near Estonia. Oh, persevere. Okay. Well, I, I that may have been what I meant. Uh, it, anyway, <laughs> um, but see, what threw me off is the way he spelled the word. It's persevere. Yeah, I don't think it's your. Your problem, no. Oh, okay, okay. I thought you were making fun of him. Fun of no, me. no, 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 never. Okay. I would never oh, do that. Oh, yeah, you'd never do that. <laughs> 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 oh, okay. Going back to uh, Patrick here, uh, it also gives me a chance to listen to you all. He's not going to listen anymore, and that way he made fun of his family. <laughs> poor poor yeah. Patrick. Sorry, Patrick. Um, it also gives me a chance to listen to you all, and you certainly welcome company on the. You are certainly. <laughs> let me try this again. Uh, it also gives me a chance to listen to you all, and you are certainly welcome company on the long drive. So thank you all again for helping to inspire future generations of aviators and keep this great worldwide community of ours connected. Oh, how nice. That's Warmest good. regards, yeah. Patrick Berry, Australia. Thank you very much, Patrick. Yeah, that, it was good very job. kind words. And, you know, even though we had fun a little bit there, uh, this kind of feedback really, it really, it, it makes, it, it, it's, it's important for us. It warms our hearts. And uh, sometimes it makes us hard to, you know, it, it makes us get choked up. Yeah. yeah. Well, it reminds you what people are willing to do to, uh, fulfill their dream you know right driving all that length of time every time you want to go fly is is quite a nightmare so yeah uh, you know, quite a commitment brilliant absolutely and as we all know uh we should all be committed <laughs> yeah, pretty <certainly> should. <laughs> certifiably yep. all right uh number six from anthony and uh let's see we he says captain jeff and crew Jeff, I know you used to fly the 727, so I thought you might like this picture. And uh, I'm a CFI out of RDU, so that's a certified flight instructor out of Raleigh-Durham International Airport. And this beauty came to visit us the other week. It's always nice when we have Boeing visitors to offset the disgusting Airbus traffic. Oh, wow. It's kind of strong. Uh, <laughs> <Anthony>. Yours. <laughs> Yeah, we're upping our standards up yours. Yes, I, I uh, 
I was also uh, I was also going to try and go into a detailed explanation of eights on pylons from the discussion on episode five five two. However, I'm approaching twelve hundred hours total time, and since my time teaching the maneuver is rapidly coming to an end, and because well, I hate that maneuver. I won't. <laughs> Thank you for. I just that. think he's forgotten <laughs> how to fly it. That's my theory. <laughs> I'm still Typical a typical Boeing pilot. I, I'm thinking to myself. I'm glad that uh, when I did my single engine commercial, kind of a joke of a check ride, that the guy didn't ask me to do that because I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have any idea how to do it. <laughs> yeah, I look at these tests he has to do now just to get a private pilot's license, and I'm thinking, how on earth did I get yeah. mine? <laughs> <laughs> well, what really amazes me is uh, the what is it? Fourteen tests you have to take for an airline transport pilot. Oh, license Lord, over there? yes. I'm what thinking there's no way was. I would have been an airline pilot if I was over <laughs> there. <laughs> I couldn't have done that. Uh, yes, I would like to do that, Liz. Uh, but to answer um, one of, uh, I'll, I'll move on with uh, the rest of his thing here. Uh, but to answer one of Captain Nick's questions about it, yes, it's required in the commercial practical test here in the States. But it, no, it doesn't have any practical application, at least none I can see. Unlike a chandelle, which can be used to get out of a mountain valley or a maneuver behind your enemy in a dogfight. Uh, oh, that's the end of a sentence. Or We call them yo-yos, by the way. Yeah. A chandelle is something you do in a glider to impress your passenger. Uh, well, I, <laughs> I really I love, love ho-hos. But I think, wait, <laughs> that's a different thing. That's, a, uh, yeah. that's actually a... Uh, it, it's that's a, two hoes. No it's, no, it's a little Debbie <laughs> snack. It's a chocolate-covered... No. You know, Nick knows what I'm talking. Nick uh, Camacho. Yeah, it's a it's about. a chocolate cake. It's a tiny yeah, chocolate cake. That's what I'm talking about. I don't know. Again, get your minds out of the gutter. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, thanks for the show. Keep up the good work. All the best, Anthony Norman. Uh, nice picture of the 727. And then, um, so I looked up the um, the uh, the lineage uh, of this uh, particular jet. November 727, November Kilo, I think. I can't read it in this picture. Yeah, yeah, you're um, right. Yep. Uh, Roosh and, Air Fenway Racing. LLC. Actually, Roush is the way you pronounce that. Um, and it, it's, it started way back uh, in, yeah, okay. so it's uh, yeah, yeah. NASCAR. I'll take your word um, for it. Yeah, NASCAR um, uh, company uh, or, or racing. With an aviation team. tie. Yes. Oh, Jack really? Roush, the- yeah, Jack Roush, their owner, is also a pilot. And is uh, pretty active in the Warbird community. He's got two or three oh, Mustangs wow. and has a oh, uh, I didn't know that. beach premier that he uh, used to fly. Cool. Yep. Well, this uh, jet started out um, back in 1979 with Singapore Airlines and then uh, flew with them for, well, looks like about three years or so. It was with Linus Arias. Yeah, the paint started to get Starbucks. a bit worn, so they sold it. <laughs> yeah. Hey. <laughs> anyway so it's it's been with several different companies over the over the years but as you said uh roush is the oh with miami heat uh the um basketball team right the professional nba team in miami uh it yep. was it was yeah it's a great air great looking jet for sure okay uh, it, well uh, the airplane's fantastic i love mm-hmm. it but uh wrong uh, colors for you jeff yeah yeah it's kind of a I agree. Okay. It's a nice uh, looking airplane. It's well proportioned. It looks like it ought to fly well. Yeah. Okay, Liz, thanks. All right, we're getting hurt. Um, Riley, she cracking the whip again. Yeah, he's, she's, she's been doing that for a long time. <laughs> um, 
Man, I like it. Uh, Riley says, <laughs> uh, hello, Captain Jeff, Nick, and of course, Liz. My name's Riley, and I'm a longtime listener. I have started to get my private pilot license, and I have obtained around eight hours. In those eight hours of flying, I've been one forced. I have had one forced landing on an abandoned airstrip after a total engine failure. Whoa, that's not good. I would get well, out that's, of flying. That's if I really unlucky. <laughs> I didn't think anyone ought to take you on as their pilot ever. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I would. You don't have good luck. You feel that unlucky. Business. Um, The engine seized after losing oil pressure. At least we had less drag as the propeller was not windmilling. Um, Not too long ago, I started to do circuits around Launston, uh, YMLT. During my second lesson, I was doing it completely by myself with my instructor just sitting there. The way that that pattern worked out, I was landing in front of a commercial aircraft each time. I buttered the landing. Um, oh, even nice. if you say so yourself. Yes. <laughs> and and there's no evidence otherwise. Oh, um, well, there I, is a little bit. Yeah. Okay. I even got a nice landing from both ATC, my instructor, and some other pilots, but they were like three miles away. Ah. Okay. Oh, I'm well, sorry. Sure. I added that last bit. <laughs> oh, that's him speaking. That's <laughs> him. Okay. Yeah. Um, but here is, I thought you were talking for yourself there. <laughs> Um, but here's something funny. Not long after Qantas was declared the safest airline in the world, Quaint they have three, uh, yes, uh, three separate engine problems three days in a row. Here's some information. Anyway, he gave us some links to some articles uh, about some um, engine failures and emergencies. And uh, we don't have the picture in the slides. I'm sorry, but uh, there's uh, uh, the crew can see this uh, Qantas uh, Quaintas, um 737 uh, touching down, and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, they forgot to put the gear down. But I think that's a, an illusion. I think the berm, the, yeah. The berm is covering up the uh, where the landing gear would be seen. Um, anyway, uh, I guess the, the thing that, that uh, is most concerning to me about uh, some of these instances was um, – uh, no, I'm sorry. I'm thinking of another piece of feedback. Um, I'm not sure what is concerning to me. but Well, I was going to say that uh, the reason the Qantas is declared the safest airline in the world is that they have apparently never had an accident. So mm-hmm. you can have an engine failure. It's not an accident. You get the airplane back. You can do all sure. sorts of things. It's not an accident. They actually had a pretty nasty uh, 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 crash when they launched an airplane off a runway that was – uh, not the correct runway and had lots of work in progress and they damaged one of their seven fours oh, yeah. so severely that it would uh, i'm going to say in in other in a lot in, in other circumstances it might have been written off in which case it would have mm-hmm. been an accident but they went to enormous expense to rebuild the aircraft and mm. ensure that it never became an accident and as such, they have never officially had an accident. Now, incidents I don't really count in this because this is one of those publicity things. Uh, the safest airline in the world has all these passengers and hasn't killed anybody or hasn't had an accident. Right. Um, so uh, it depends entirely on your definition of an accident. Uh, yeah. And in most areas, uh, Qantas has managed to keep a perfect 
record. So from well, that point yeah, of view, a lot of a lot of semantics uh, involved here, I guess. Exactly. So the, yeah. you, the, you are quoting some incidents that <laughs> Qantas have had, but they haven't really been serious enough to cause you know serious loss of life. So. Yeah, and all of you out there who fly for Qantas, we love you and your airline. So yeah, except you're all most of you are bloody Australians. <laughs> well, I didn't want to say that, but okay. Uh, just kidding, of course. Um, of course, yeah. great. Always company. kidding. Uh, yes, always kidding. Um, gosh darn it, I feel so pressured. We have so much more feedback, Liz. Um, I, if you don't now, let no. I'm gonna I'm gonna do one more thing if you don't mind. Um, but I, I want to tell uh, Kevin and uh, AJ uh, and uh, Tim Van Ram and uh, Matt and uh, all the rest of you who have sent in feedback. It's, it's there. We just haven't gotten it to it on this show. We'll try to get to it next show. Uh, but I will um, cover this one here that uh, has been in our feedback uh, lineup for a, a few shows. And uh, it's uh, number 12 uh, from, from John. Uh, Jack, um, well, no, it's not John. Uh, well, it says John, but then he signed it Jack. Uh, hmm, I'm confused. Okay, so it's, it's both. Then. Uh, greetings, Captain Jeff. I'm a new listener to the APG podcast, being an aviation enthusiast all my life. I was very happy to come across your podcast. I love the new segment as well as the feedback and, of course, plane tales. Although not a pilot myself, my father was a P-51 fighter pilot in World War II based in England. On his 37th mission, he was shot down in occupied France. Below, I have attached a Word document with some highlights of what I think is an incredible story. Also, I've attached a link to my Adobe Spark page with a more in-depth story loaded with photos from 1944 and of uh, 2019 when my family and I went to France to follow his footsteps, or in his footsteps. I know there are many stories of pilots getting shot down and evading capture. Everyone is a story of a hero. I hope you find my dad's story as amazing as I do. Perhaps it will get mentioned on a podcast. Yeah, it'll get mentioned on this one for sure, at least. I want to keep sharing his story and trying to keep the memory of the greatest generation. My apologies for my poor writing skills. I, was total, I will totally understand if this doesn't pass the standards of APG. <laughs> Might be, yeah. might be over, might be over the standards yeah. of the APG. Yeah. Yeah, right. Def- yeah. It definitely passes our standards. Definitely. Um, so anyway, the, uh, the name of the uh, book here is in my father's footsteps, uh, Lieutenant David a Donovan's journey. And, uh, he has a link here to, uh, to that. And, um, he included, um, uh, some photos, uh, Liz, have you been showing us? Yeah. Some of those or, Okay. Um, of the uh, a few photos of Lieutenant Donovan and his uh, and his plane, Mary Joyce, a P fifty one was that a D model? Uh, Nick, uh, no, it was a B or a C. Okay, uh, so I don't know my my Mustang models very well. Anyway, very good looking man, um, and uh, in front of his uh, airplanes uh, from back in World War Two, and then there's a, a photo uh, there that I'm sure you've seen if you're watching the video of the uh, kind of the 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 gathering, the meetup of uh, a family and some of the people um, and descendants um, back um, from World War II. Uh, well, yeah, descendants of that era. Um, not all of them were around back in World War II, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Um, 
let's see, um, a, just a, a quick uh, summary a little bit of Lieutenant David A. Donovan, his father. Uh, on June 8th, 1944, two days after D-Day, while in his P-51B, there, there's the answer, Mustang, my father, Lieutenant David Donovan, was shot, do- shot down as he strafed a German supply chain train. Excuse me. His plane was named Mary Joyce after his 13-month-old daughter back home in Bayonne, New Jersey, with her mother, Teresa Joyce Donovan. Uh, the mission that day for the 355th Fighter Group, based uh, at Steeple Morden, England, was to disrupt communications and cut off the mainline railroad from Bordeaux to Tours in southwest France. When my father's plane was hit, he knew he was in trouble. Still having enough speed for his strafing run, he successfully got his Mustang to a higher altitude and was able to bail out. In order to do that, in his P-51B, he needed to swing his canopy doors open, undo his harness, and roll the plane over until he fell out. As he drifted down in his parachute, he saw the Germans coming for him. He landed safely in a field, slipped out of his parachute, and ran into the nearby woods. He was in Chalet, a small village located in the department of Charente. I don't know if that's probably not right. Charente, okay, about 55 miles northeast of Bordeaux. This is where the story begins of his three-month escape from German-occupied France. Had it not been for the very brave and ordinary French citizens who put their lives at risk and the help of the heroic French resistance, my father more than likely would not have made it home. Anyway, so it, it goes on. We're not going to read the whole thing here, but uh, it's there's a link in the show notes for you to check this out. Please do. I think that uh, this is an amazing story, and uh, I'm so glad that you, Jack, John, um, discovered our podcast, and I'm glad you're enjoying it, and um, I'm glad that we had a chance to mention this um, on our show. It, it is a great story. I, I've read uh, all of it, and uh, you know it's just absolutely classic. Uh, a brave man put in dreadful situation, and how uh, he managed to, uh, with the help of you know some very very brave civilians, uh, to uh, survive and get back. Uh, so I think it's a fabulous story, and thanks very yeah. much Nick, for sharing us with it with us, uh, John. Yes. Absolutely. All right. Wrap up time. Um, yeah. We're going to tell you about our website, airlinepilotguy.com, where you can find all kinds of good stuff. We're not going to go into it because we're going to try to get this thing wrapped up quickly. Um, but check it out, please, if you don't mind, airlinepilotguy.com. And uh, we are also on social media. And who would like to uh, – Camacho, have you ever done this? Nope. I can do it. Uh, okay. On Facebook, we're at uh, Airline Pilot Guy. Go there to check out the very, very young Lieutenant, Second Lieutenant Jeff. Oh, yeah. Is that what you would have been? Yeah. Uh, Twitter, we are at APG Crew. Um, there's a lot of uh, show development information there. Instagram, we're at APG Crew. That is just the cover arts. Um, and then we have uh, Slack with Hello. And let's see if he'll, you know, I don't, I'm not sure if he'll, I love it. I think Nick's just frozen halfway through saying Hillel. He did. Oh my. He's just got like gone stony face. Hillel put a curse on him, I think. (laughs) Yeah, he did. Wow. (laughs) Hillel, I think is on a a big trip right now. um, Overseas. Big trip Um, to your bathroom. 
Well, no, you know what? Actually, um, he uh, told me just to play the recording of him telling us about Slack and stuff. He'll be back next week. Oh, fair enough. APG right. listeners, P- please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. All right. Thank you, Hillel, for uh, sending us that recording and telling us all about Slack. So again... Um, if you want to join that great group of folks uh, on that uh, quasi social media platform, please uh, send Hillel an email. Uh, oh, you uh, know what? How just, can you be quasi social? Uh, well, just sort of social, not, <laughs> not much. Oh, Actually, that's, that's maybe not a good description. But then, as I'm saying that, I'm thinking to myself, you know, with this whole new email thing going on, um, those were kind of. Um, uh, forwarding addresses like aliases. I bet they don't even work anymore. So <laughs> we may have to change that. Oh, so no. uh, yeah, stay tuned. Yeah, if you're if you're sending Hillel at airlinepilotguy.com some um, some email, he's not ignoring you. It's probably just because my email system is all screwed up. So sorry about that. Um, and uh, finally, we'd like to uh, bring our producer into the video with us, uh, Nick. Uh, Hello, by the ladies. way, Nick, Nick Camacho is still here with us. He's just uh, had has an issue with his uh, his video, but he said he's here, still here in in audio only. I'm guessing, but I'm not sure about it, that either. But it, meanwhile, we're going to talk about Liz. She is such a great person. She hey. helps us so much with the show prep and everything else. So, big round of applause for and she Liz trained and all the she work. trained this this. Round wow. thing. What do you call In it? her spare time? Uh, yeah, she trained prairie it. Dog. Prairie dog. Prairie dog. Well, groundhog, prairie dog. Groundhog, whatever. prairie dog, something. Dog. Yeah, and and without her help, it would be running running them up. That's yeah. Up on your head. I love you. Yeah. <laughs> it has been entertaining though, watching that thing rub its bottom yeah, against it's your little head. Tail. Also, but, <laughs> little tail. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, Nick C., are you still with us? No. No, he's, he's not. No, I think he's gone. Yeah, uh, aneurysm, I would uh, diagnose. Oh, no. no. Well, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll oh. see what's happening uh, yeah. after we stop the broadcast. But uh, the show must go on. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> let's, hey, let's not th- let that bring us down. You know, Nick was a great no. guy. He we was. Loved, we loved him daily. Yes. <laughs> moving on. And moving on. Yeah, but moving on. Uh, there's yeah. Liz cracking it up again. Okay. And uh, <laughs> what else do we say here? We say, you know, just follow us on the social media and all that kind of stuff. And uh, we don't know when we're going to be back. But we'll we be back love week. you. We, we do love, love you. That is yes. absolutely true. And with that, we wish you clear skies and limited visibility and tailwinds. Talons, Douglas. Goodbye, you wonderful people. Good night, everybody. Yeah, he's up in the sky. Good day.
I used to be such a good, good pilot Till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats Airline, how did I I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline, how did I I fly